VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right, Linda Swain in for Patty Daly, who is off this week. And uh, it must be nice not having to consider shoveling yourself out and getting on the road on a day like today here in the eastern portion of the uh, island portion of the province anyway. It's a uh, uh, first real, I suppose, winter storm that we've encountered. We've had some stormy-ish days. But this is the first real, you know, blizzard, I suppose, we've had. Not too bad coming in this morning, but uh, no doubt it's going to be a lot worse. Uh, Everything's shut down, so there's really no reason to be out on the roads anyway. So uh, if you had a trip into town planned or whatever the case may be, check ahead. Uh, Chances are everything shut down. Stay home. Stay safe. Well, the premiers and territorial leaders have agreed to the federal health transfer deal offered to them. Last week, Premier Andrew Fury indicated in a virtual news conference yesterday that he's hoping the increase in funds will start flowing soon and be reflected in the upcoming budget. That's only next month. We don't know the date yet, but it's uh, usually in March. Priorities, of course, include access to family doctors. We know all too well that situation, especially in rural and remote areas. Reducing backlogs on various types of surgeries and the like that a lot of people have been waiting on through covid and, and uh, otherwise. Supporting existing healthcare staff, uh, that is the imp- all-important retention piece that uh, our um, federal and provincial officials are talking about. And that is ensuring that uh, people have the kind of working conditions and the work-life balance that they require, need, and deserve. Um, Improved access to mental health and substance use services, of course, vitally important because we're seeing every day the impact of that. And modernizing the healthcare system with standardized health data and digital tools. Well, what exactly does that mean? I'll try to explain some of that to you now. There's no mention. We had a couple of calls on open line yesterday, and it threw me off a little bit because I was not familiar with the arguments that were being presented. Uh, But there's no mention at all of a condition attached to to the health care transfers requiring digital IDs. No mention whatsoever. What they are looking at, however, is the sharing of health-related data, not personal data, Not Joe Blow at number one Second Street who has had three procedures and is a diabetic. It's information like wait lists for hip and knee replacements or cardiac catheterizations. The only mention about this whole uh, health um, information thing was in relation to streamlining or combining data already collected by uh, CHI-HI, for instance, uh, also known as the Canadian Institute for Health Information, um, like compiling information on surgical wait lists, as I said. So now, separately, separately, digital IDs are a thing. Some jurisdictions are looking at it, including Newfoundland and Labrador, which announced last month that it hopes to introduce a digital ID pilot project sometime this year. Well, how that will look exactly, um, they weren't sure, but we're going to try and get the minister on uh, to try and explain this a little bit further. But the idea is that it will enable people who choose to do so 
to get a digital ID to do business with government online without having to send in a pile of pictures and documentation to prove who they are. So that's the idea behind that. But it's separate, and it's not the same, and it's not a condition. And it's opt-in. So I think there was a couple of things being confused there yesterday when when some of this um, issue started getting raised. City of St. John's looking at uh, expanding security in two old, beautiful, and venerated parks in the capital city. Uh, as you know, our um, park spaces are beautiful spaces to enjoy uh, nature, a bit of open space, trees, flowers, grass, uh, and for families to gather. There's a lot of people out there picnicking or uh, on their bikes or, you know, kicking around a ball or whatever the case may be. Uh, But there have been increased instances of vandalism and people gathering maybe to drink, among other things. There was a fire, of course, in the canteen at Bannerman Park some time ago, and there was somebody in that canteen at the time, and there were some real concerns there that someone may have been harmed. Uh, Luckily, they weren't. Um, I hear people saying they're not as comfortable as they once were walking in some of our parks. Uh, So it's a bit of a controversial move, but... But, um, and access to the bathrooms, of course, is a whole other thing. Uh, but myself and Jerry Lynn Mackey were having this conversation earlier. It's not very many cities in North America where you can gain access to a public washroom. That's a thing of the past in a lot of areas. Maybe we're coming of age. I don't know. But if you have any thoughts on that, you're certainly welcome to give us a call. Uh, meeting last night in Marystown to discuss what's happening with the Canning Bridge. We've heard uh, heard from the mayor yesterday who indicated it could be 2027 at the earliest before that bridge is replaced. That's a great inconvenience to the people of Marystown who have to travel quite a ways around to get from one side um, to the other. We're hoping to get an update on that meeting this morning. And uh, here's a big issue that's uh, evolving in central Newfoundland, obstetrics or no obstetrics. That's the dilemma facing two major hospitals in central Newfoundland. We already know that the health accord means changes to the way in which services are provided. However, central Newfoundland is not really one region, is it? It's two distinct and geographically huge regions. Central Newfoundland is the bulk of the island. And while they're only about an hour apart, the hospital in Grand Falls, Windsor and James Payton in Gander serve two very different and distinct areas. And according to Grand Falls, Windsor Mayor Barry Manuel, only one of those two hospitals will be providing obstetrical services. And they've had a lot of trouble with that in recent years um, with um, staffing issues and and the like, so that at any given time, um, uh, an expected mother might have to travel from, who normally went to Gander, might have to travel to Grand Falls, Windsor to get the services that she needs. Uh, And that's been going back and forth like that for quite some time. Well, arguably, obstetrics determines the future of a community, or in this case, an entire region. And I'd like to hear from anyone in Gander or Grand Falls, Windsor, who wants to weigh in on that. One of the more interesting calls, and we always get very interesting calls on Open Line, but one of the more interesting calls we received yesterday came from a, a group of inmates at her, His Majesty's, sorry, getting used to that now, His Majesty's Penitentiary. We heard from a number of inmates indicating that parts of the pen are absolutely infested with rats, and I 
spoke with uh, NAEP President Jerry Earle, who represents correctional officers at HMP, and he confirmed that it is a situation, and it and it's bad. Um, so I'd like to hear what people have to say about that. Where are we with the replacement of the penitentiary? Um, we had uh, put a request into the Department of Justice. We're still awaiting a response on that, and we'll let you know if we hear anything further. Lots on the go. Just because I'm raising these issues doesn't mean that's what we're limited to in terms of uh, conversation. By all means, pick up the phone. Give us a call. This is a good day to do it. Happy Valentine's, by the way. And if you happen to be in the eastern portion of the island, well, what what is more conducive to romance than a storm day? <laughs> Just saying. Anyway, uh, if you um, uh, want to give us a call, by all means, now is your chance to do so. We're going to take a very short break. When we come back, we're going to hear from you. And we're back straight to our callers now. Linda Swain in for um, Patty Daly, who's off today. Uh, Val, you're on the air. Good morning. Hi. Hi. How are you, Linda? Great. Uh, Happy wishing- Valentine's to you. Oh, happy Valentine's to you. Uh, <laughs> I hope you enjoy your Valentine's Day. Um, Are you named after uh, Valentine? Uh, goodness, no. I think I'm named after a set of curtain rods, but I'm, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not quite, quite sure about that, why I was named my name. Uh, anyhow, um, the, the reason why I called this morning, I was listening to you earlier, and you, you say, you're suggesting people to stay in if they got to stay in, and, and, that, and that's for sure. It's a, it's a stormy day out there. However, some people have to be out, and they have to be on the streets walking because they have dogs yes. and other animals that need to be outside. They need to do that thing they do. They got to pee, pee and poop. They, we, every, you know, like, like we all do. And, you know, they, we really don't want them doing it in the house. So we walk them, eh? So what do you call it? Got to be careful. Both sides, like the walkers and the people who are in the, who are the, you know, taking care of the roads out there and who have to ferry people around today. Absolutely. Um, how do you find the? Have uh, to watch each other. How do you find the um, snow clearing in that? Do you find that uh, the roads well, are getting we, widened out early enough, or that the sidewalks well, are being taken care of? The roads are fine. The sidewalks, no, it, it's not very good. I wish I could take a picture because they don't clean up the corners, and the corners is where you're having the accidents, eh? And if, if the sidewalks were cleared at the corners more and if the cars slowed down at the corners more, you, you might have less accidents happening in the city. And, um, and another thing, I, I see people walking when they're walking, that they're walking to, uh, with traffic. You, I grew up learning the law. I don't know what it is here, but I grew up learning the law. You've got to walk against traffic so that they can see you and you can see them coming. Absolutely. And, and if you can make that eye contact, all the better. And try and be as bright as possible. I know, we, you know, like uh, when you're out in the winter, no one cares what color you got on, right? You should be as bright as possible so you, 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 you all can see each other. It's, I tell you what, my dog and I, we walk twice a day. We have to cross the road four times to get where, where she likes to go. So that means twice a day, we cross the road 16 times a day. Crossing a road 16 times a day does one thing. Cuts down on the success, uh, successful chance of not being hit by a car. 
we have to worry about being hit by a vehicle 16 times a day. I noticed, though, Val, people are getting um, better at being more visible. I mean, uh, we live in Canada, oh, so what's yes. the what's the standard um, winter wear? It's a black jacket, right? We oh, all wear the black jacket, the black boots, mm-hmm. the black hat. Everything is black. I'm as guilty of that in any... In fact, everything I'm wearing today is black. Um, so, but I'm noticing more and more people are wearing the blaze orange jackets with the, with the fluorescent, you know... That's uh, crosses on them and all that stuff and they're much more visible and dogs now even have little vests and and oh, things yes. that light up and all that stuff so it uh, you know there's more people more aware of that i suppose and wearing that kind of stuff i know the awareness will help i'm not you know it's it, it's not saying what we were doing before was wrong it's just that we need to progress from where we move before and whatever we do in life and that means being more careful now Right. We, we need less accidents. So we want less accidents. So people need to be more careful and more visible. And the town can help by, you know, clearing the sidewalks a bit better. I mean, of course, it's a big city in terms of what what the resources that they have. But if if they knew where people walked the most, like near hospitals, near the parks, near the um, uh, strip mall areas, if they did those before they did the suburban areas, they you know it, it might strike a bit better balance in the towns. Val, all the best to you and uh, safe travels oh, with your puppy. I'm sorry to go on like that. Yes, be careful out there today, everybody who has whoever has to be out there. Absolutely. Thanks for your call. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. We're going to go now to Merv Wiseman. Hello, Merv. Hey, good morning, Linda. How are you this morning? Great. And yourself? Well, pretty good. Um, looking out the window here now in North Harbor, my home, and uh, it's not too bad looking there, but uh, not looking forward to the rest of the day, I can tell you that. No, and this uh, system, I was looking at the radar last night. Wow, it goes stretches right down the U.S. eastern mm-hmm. seaboard. It's We've got a lot still coming, so... It's a big one. We're paying for some of our earlier sins now, that's for sure. Um, look, uh, I want I two or three things I wanted to mention, try to move fast here and try to squeeze them all in. I wanted to mention the decommission is the uh, um, DFO Science Festival or Coast Guard Science Festival, Alfred Needler. Before I do, I just wanted to acknowledge the work that's been done by the delegation from Labrador that went to Ottawa, uh, last week and met with a, a series of, of ministers up there on the search and rescue issues uh, facing uh, Labrador, facing all of Newfoundland and Labrador, quite frankly. And um, it's very satisfying, I must say. And it wasn't just last week that the work has been ongoing, as you know, Linda. Um, Jeanette Russell and her husband Dwight has been very vocal and very articulate and passionate um, in stating their case uh, from their own personal experience, of course. Um, and uh, certainly the issues that they're talking about are very relevant. And it it's somewhat uh, satisfying to me to know that, uh, you know, we have a team effort here because, as you know, I've been advocating for a long time for many of the same things that uh, that the delegation had talked about last week and, and before. Certainly the uh, issues around safety, courage of safety equipment, 
Um, and one in particular is the idea of an inquiry into efficient vessel safety in this country, because I think until you, you drill down and get into the depths of uh, all the issues that's creating the safety issues, including the influence of, 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 of fisheries management, for example, the issues of Transport Canada and, you know, the regulatory safety regime, that's, that's all there. You know, it's... Um, yeah, it's it's a monumental task to to you know to try to to wrestle this to the ground and and you know the the strides that the Labrador delegation and the Russells are making is commendable and I just I just would be remiss if I didn't mention that this morning and affects us all. Uh, this isn't just a Labrador issue; it, it affects the entire province and arguably the whole country. Um, yep. And it, I was speaking with Jeanette last week, as you may know, and uh, you know she as you just mentioned, indicated, you know, there are so many different regulatory agencies involved in mm-hmm. safety in in the fishing industry that, you know, sometimes, and you've pointed this out before, sometimes they're contradictory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and one, one regulation wants you doing this, another regulation wants you doing that. It's hard to keep track of it all. It's hard to uh, determine who is responsible for what. Um, and it often comes up in, in a lot of these transportation safety board reports into tragedies saying that you know okay that while this agency wanted this this agency wanted that they hadn't met this but they did meet these it's just so complicated to go through it it certainly is and you know the way that it's got framed and it's been framed over the last few years especially in these uh, tsb reports is that you know there's a culture of safety that's lacking within the fishing industry or the fishing participants themselves i don't think that's fair i, I you know i i resent that I, I i take some big issue with that um you know uh, there's a, there's a lot of um he want to call it blame to, to go around here. Um, TSB has been doing these reports and it's been very repetitive in some of the key elements, uh, the contradictory elements, in fact, for the last four decades, 40 years. And and nothing can be done about that, the, the, the conflicts and contradictions uh, and the lack of, uh, of cohesion between, you know, two big departments um, in uh, federal departments, uh, Transport Canada and DFO, for example. I mean, just that alone is enough to, um, you know, is enough to help upset the apple cart. I mean, look, uh, the, and we can talk about so many of these issues, the courage of the safety equipment, like keepers and so on. But, you know, size restrictions, we can talk all day on the effects of size restrictions. That's a, that's a DFO requirement and certainly a contradiction between DFO and what Transport Canada wants, you know. So there is, uh, it, it's a mock and, and, you know, I really believe that if we're going to make any inroads at all, we have to have full disclosure, transparency, and the ability uh, of an inquiry or a commission of inquiry to get out there and get everybody on the witness stand and do what was done for the inquiry, the provincial inquiry, a couple of years ago. We achieved a lot through these inquiry. Um, as someone who's observed a fishery for a couple of decades now, um, what, was, what was behind some of these size restrictions put in place for vessels where you had these ridiculous um, uh, situations where some uh, fish harvesters or enterprise owners were forced to cut off the nose of the boat and all of this yep. old nonsense and and the boats became snub nosed and yep. and almost like corks in the water rather than actual sailing vessels 
Yeah, bottom line, of course, is that it upset the stability of, of the vessel to the point where, you know, lives were in danger. Many vessels uh, many vessels toppled, capsized, and, and th- there were so many issues around that. Look, there's a long history there, you know, exactly why it started. I'm not sure anyone really knows at this point. It's got so uh, worn out and so convoluted. But the idea was to, I suppose, from a, a conservation standpoint, was to restrict, you know, the, the catches, if you will, of, of, of and, and reduce capacity and the ability to go out and clean up all of our stocks. One time without, you know, IQs, for example, that that may have had some relevance. But as time went on, uh, it started to get even more convoluted. And, and quite frankly, if I do have criticism for the union, the, the FFAW, um, is that uh, this was taken up as a union issue as well. And the idea of size restrictions were supported in their backyard because they believe that it, uh, it, it, it created a level of, of protection for fleet separation. They believe that if vessels got bigger and, and, and fish, fish harvesters moved into bigger vessels, then they would, uh, it would be very expensive and they would be, have to be endearing uh, you know, to the plant owners and operators and so on. And so ownership of their quotas, if you will, through that process would happen. That got to be a very political issue as well. So, you know, in, in terms of trying to get the kind of support that was needed, uh, you know, to, to break the back of these size restrictions, uh, it wasn't coming from the organization that represented fishermen in particular in this province anyway. So has there been any indication that this is something that Ottawa is willing to consider? Uh, yeah, there's some indications lately, of course. We did, you know, break the barrier of moving up to, to the 49-foot level. That's, you know, moved the vessels that were that were stuck in, in 39. Uh, so, um, you know, and that's been ongoing for some time. They, they made that improvement uh, for uh, other parts of the Maritimes about three years ago, and they finally conceded to do it for New, the Newfoundland and Labrador uh, fish harvesters uh, just last fall. So we'll be seeing that. So there's so there is some movement, and I think gradually through the efforts outside of the FFAW, through organizations like CNL, for example, and individual people who have, who have gotten out there and, and hustled and, and have been able to achieve some level of advocacy, that there's been some breakthroughs in, in these lines. But, you know, until we get to the point where, you know, safety uh, and the platform that you use is predicated on safety and safety features and forget the idea of, you know, categorizing vessels in, in certain size restrictions, regardless of safety, then, you know, we, we will not have achieved anything there. But needless to say, and, you know, going back to the inquiry, you know, this needs to be laid out there. It needs to be dissected. There are experts out there you know, who can explain this to the public and have it understood, uh, you know, and, and have ways and means of trying to achieve that level of safety that's there. That's just on that front line there. Um, and uh, the, another point that they want um, considered is uh, upgrading Five Wing Goose Bay to a primary search and rescue <laughs> unit. Um, it seems kind of amazing that it isn't already. Well, me too. Look, I've, I've had the privilege... Um, 
and I've had the honour and the privilege of working with uh, Nina Tulvit um, and the, the, their council over the last couple of years on their search and rescue file. And that's been certainly a, a first and foremost. And it's certainly one going back, you know, to the Burton Winters uh, situation in 2012 that really jumps out at you and says, there's something seriously wrong with this. Uh, but, you know, here is a, a world-class um, um, airport facility with all of the infrastructure there now and will be the recipient by the way among uh, four of the NORAD stations that will be upgraded over the next decade to the tune of uh, uh, in terms of dollars that's available to do that over 38 billion dollars to do that uh, you know so they have to wait they have the ways and the means to do it uh, you know with the with the the north opening uh, and the exploitation of resources in the north and the issues of northern sovereignty, Arctic sovereignty and so on. You know, the idea that they can't make uh, uh, Goose Bay a search and rescue, a primary search and rescue uh, unit with with the ability to have standby aircraft ready, just as they would in Gander at the 103 or in Greenwood or Victoria in B.C., is just absolutely, it just boggles the mind. I simply can't understand it. It would be just such a, a really a simple process to do. And by doing it, if they make it a primary search and rescue unit, of course, then you have fully trained, uh, you have aircraft facilities to do that, uh, fixed wing rotary, especially the Comorant, and you would have trained uh, pilots, uh, you know, trained technicians on standby all the time to service all the area adjacent to Goose Bay, all the Labrador coasts. And a gateway into the north where that, you know, right now if some, some things happens up in the Collywood area, up in Hudson Strait, uh, you know, Davis Strait and so on, way to the north. Uh, you know, helicopters got to come all the way from, in some cases, Gander, from some, in some cases, Greenwood, um, you know, t- uh, Trenton, Ontario, and those places. Um, if, you know, if Goose Bay was there, it just doesn't make so much sense. Like, isn't it crazy that we're in this situation? You know, what, what are they waiting for? Merv, we'll have to leave it there, but you're raising some excellent points and uh, some great questions. If anybody else has anything to say on that, I welcome them to give us a call. Thank you. For sure. Look, I know I got really immersed in, in, in this one. I wanted to mention the uh, Alfred Needler. I won't do it now, of course. We'll run out of time. But I just want to say that uh, on the 25th of this month, uh, CNL will be having its annual general meeting. I want to get that message out. I know that Ryan has done a lot, Ryan Cleary, to get that message out there. But, you know, I would encourage uh, owners and operators of vessels to come to that meeting, uh, if they will, virtually or come in person in Gander at the Albatross on the 25th, and uh, we'll have guest speakers there. But more importantly, Linda, we will be we will be discussing and wrestling and trying to achieve some level of coherent policy on the kinds of things that you and I just talked about, including the Alfred Needler and what's happening with our science program. So I just wanted to squeeze that Missy Jen, if I could. All right, really appreciate it, Murph. Thanks. Thank you so much. Larry. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And uh, now we've got uh, Kevin on the line. Hello, Kevin. No. Hello. Um, I'm, um, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Oh. Uh, this morning when I uh, was taking my, uh, when my, when my uh, wife left the house, uh, unbeknownst to us, the, the cat got out, and I don't know where he's gone. Oh, no. Uh, so I live in the Newfoundland Drive, Virginia place area. Uh, and and the East End, and uh, it's a tabby-colored cat with no tail. 
So if anybody's listening and see this cat, please bring him to bring him back home. Uh, does is he used to being out? No, he's not. No, he don't be out. He's not an outdoor cat. He's Just probably again, somewhere he close by, hunkered down somewhere. Have you got like a deck or anything? Have you looked under there? Oh yes, I looked everywhere, and I looked all around. I went around all the houses next door, looked under the cars everywhere. I can't seem to find him. But oh it's, my. Uh, his name is Keno, but cats don't really answer the, na- answer the names. But uh, um, it's like I said, it's a small tabby cat with uh, no tail. He, he was born without a tail. And he's, he's very friendly. And uh, he's not, like I said, he's not used to being out. So I don't know where he is. If someone please, if, if I can give my number on the air if that's all right. If you want to, you're certainly welcome to. Yes, my number is 689-8908. And I... Uh, our cat got out this morning, I guess, when my wife left. All right, so if uh, you've seen Kino in and around the Newfoundland Drive, Virginia Place area, a little tabby cat, little uh, with no tail, um, answers to Kino if he answers to it at all. <laughs> uh, 689-8908. Will you keep us up to date if he comes home? Oh, yes, I will, yeah. Um, uh, um, uh, my wife... Uh, Will be is going to be devastated when she finds out that he's not here. She's going to see that's like her a baby to her, right? Oh, I know oh all about it. I uh, had a cat that got out on a really stormy day like today, and we didn't see him for two or three weeks. I think he got into a uh, an old house nearby, and um, anyway, uh, one of our neighbors finally found him, and he was right skinny, but he was some happy to be home. Yeah, I hope he's. Uh, I hope we can find him. I hope he's. Uh, I hope we can find him alive anyway and, uh, and safe, but uh, with the stormy weather, God knows where he could be. They tend to find uh, places to hide, so um, he might come out after all of this, but if anybody's seen him around, I'm sure you'll have neighbors now out looking. <laughs> Hopefully, yes, they're listening to this, yes. All right, really appreciate this, Kevin. Let us know. I hope they thank you very much. All right, thank you. And we're going to take a very short break. We have a couple of lines open. We're going to hear, uh, get a little update on the uh, meeting in Marystown last night. And we're going to speak with the mayor of New West Valley uh, when we come back after the break. Weekdays on VOCM, it's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. And we're back. We're going to go now to the MHA for Placentia West Bellevue, Jeff Dwyer. Hello, Jeff. Hi, Linda. How are you this morning? Good. That's good. Just uh, calling in to uh, talk about the uh, uh, meeting last night in Marystown, uh, you know, and the impact that the uh, closing of the Canning Bridge is going to have on uh, the people in Marystown. Oh, no doubt. It's got to be a huge inconvenience. Yeah, and I think it's, uh, it's more than an inconvenience. I think it's really, uh, you know, it's going to really affect the economy. And, I mean, Marystown's the hub of the Bjorn Peninsula. So, I mean, you know, a lot of people come there. But for the people that are on the south side of the bridge to go up around, um, all the way up around the other way, I mean, no, they're not cut off. And, uh, we're, you know, we're very grateful that, uh, uh, you know, former MHA uh, Glenn Tobin had the fortitude to uh, see that, uh, you know, we needed a causeway. So, you know, it's uh, it's a blessing in the skies at this point. But, you know, with the added traffic, uh, you know, what's the impact going to be uh, on the low span of that uh, uh, overpass or bridge as well, you know? Uh, for sure. So what was discussed last night specifically? 
Um, there was a lot of really. Uh, I, I will say one thing: there was it was attended by uh, probably anywhere between uh, 100, 150 uh, people. Uh, it was uh, very respectful, uh, but you could see the the genuine concern in people's faces as they spoke. And I mean, you know, there was a lady there uh, that represented uh, Grace Sparks' house. Uh, she was saying, you know, uh, instead of uh, like they got to go for doctor's appointments, and uh, you know, there's many things that the services on the north side of Marystown offer to the people on the south side of Marystown. And, you know, they're going from a $14 cab ride to a $40 cab ride, uh, which they use cabs quite often. And, uh, you know, like I said, that's they're on a, a pretty fixed budget. So, you know, it's got to come from somewhere where they're already struggling uh, budget-wise to uh, meet, uh, you know, dietary constraints and stuff like that. Uh, you know, it was... Uh, it was pretty impactful, but uh, then you know the uh, the gentleman that uh, was there representing Marystown Taxi uh, got up and uh, he was willing to work uh, with the town and the residents, uh, you know. But at the you know it can't be at his cost either, I guess, kind of thing. We don't want any, anybody to uh, uh, go out of business or break even. That's not a that's not a, a recipe for success. So you know that's impacted, but you know people are pulling together to try and make you know the impact is as less sustainable, I guess, as possible. So how so. did we get to this point, though? Um, surely uh, um, the bridge is quite old. That's my understanding. What is it, 50, 60 years old? Uh, 1954. There you go. That's quite old. Um, My apologies to anybody born in 1954, but you know what I'm saying. (laughs) For a span, that's old. Um, And uh, so how did we get to this point where suddenly it's got to be shut down? I mean, surely this had to be something that officials must have been looking at at some point and and prioritizing whether or not it needs to be replaced. 1954, I don't think there's an awful lot of bridges out there of that vintage. Yeah, no, it has had some uh, some work on it, but I think that was more on the facade as opposed to uh, the underneath uh, with the girders and stuff. But uh, upon further inspection, I guess uh, you know it was uh, it was deemed that uh, it was unsafe, and you know it, it had a you know government had their own uh, reports and inspections done. Uh, you know, so you know there's things that I have brought to the attention. We had some work done on the south side entrance to the bridge uh, during my tenure. And, uh, you know, it's because there was a reoccurring hole that was uh, kept, uh, like pothole that kept uh, uh, reoccurring uh, quite often. And, you know, I'm no engineer, but when I consulted with uh, some people that I do uh, consider to be uh, confidants in engineering, um, they said, well, if you want to lower the impact going to the bridge, then instead of filling the pothole, uh, you need to take it back to probably the intersection there on the south side. Uh, and then that way there's less impact of the big trucks and everything hitting the bridge all in one small uh, uh, area. So, you know, like I said, I was uh, lucky to be able to uh, consult about that and, and to get that repair done. But then, you know, that was probably what uh, triggered this inspection in 2020. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's not a I, – I, I would like to clarify, this is not a big – blame or anything like that because 
as I've always said, we can't ask the past any new questions. It has no new answer. So what's done is done. We have to pick up our, our bootstraps and all work together now to move forward to kind of expedite this getting uh, replaced, but in a safe and, and uh, you know, proper manner so that, uh, you know, it lasts for another uh, 70 or 80 years type of thing, you know. Mayor Keating indicated yesterday the earliest that could happen is possibly 2027. Uh, and I and I don't disagree with that. But, uh, you know, like I said, if uh, uh, where there's a will, there's a way. And, uh, you know, what I what I experienced in that meeting last night was that, uh, you know, people are willing to come together to get this done. And, uh, you know, uh, the premier has made uh, an overture to, uh, you know, full replacement of the bridge and all this. But, uh, you know, as uh, as we know, there's uh, tight budgets everywhere, and uh, we want to make sure that uh, we get that in writing, I guess, kind of thing, so that, uh, you know, there is no delays any further than uh, what we will have to experience regardless, you know. Uh, like, you take seniors, for instance, they're on a fixed income. I mean, you know, uh, we're trying to increase memberships at the Y and make a healthier uh, uh, society, but yet now this will impact them no different than, you know, having to drive up around the extra. Uh, 12 and a half kilometers. Uh, I think uh, on, on a rough estimate, it said that uh, you know uh, it's going to impact people uh, anywhere from 900 to 1,000 dollars extra a year uh, just in fuel alone. And uh, you know we know where the cost of living is today in uh, Newfoundland Labrador, uh, which is impacted a little bit heavier in uh, rural Newfoundland Labrador because of uh, the difference in travel and stuff like that. But you know and. Then, you know, think about pro- people's property values. You know, they 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 certainly. Uh, uh, there's a couple of people mentioned. Uh, I think they received to the mayor, and the mayor kind of shared that story. Was that, you know, they built their house where they did for the you know reason A, B, and C, and D, but now those reasons for being over there are kind of uh, moved away from them a little bit more and if they go to sell their house is it going to be worth what they paid for it or what you know what it costs to build it or anything so you know it's there there was a lot of people there with very uh, good stories uh, uh, like I said I think it was a very respectful meeting uh, and you know I was able to address the, the group as well uh, and I, I thank the mayor and the council for uh, that opportunity but I think that's the thing is that the mayor and the council know that they have my uh, unequivocal support uh, to get this done. Um, you know, and uh, you know the fire chief was there, and uh, we talked about uh, fire uh, emergency services. Uh, there was a member there, uh, the president actually uh, of the chamber of commerce was there, and uh, he had agreed with a, a gentleman earlier that had. Uh, you know, uh, brought up about a task force uh, to make sure that, uh, you know, there's uh, it's not all laid at the feet of the council because obviously we know these are uh, volunteers that stepped up in our in our uh, community to, you know, better the lives of everybody. So, you know, it's, it's about us all working together. Uh, it's about making sure that, uh, you know, uh, the government knows that uh, we're, uh, we're here to be uh, accounted for, I guess, kind of thing. And, uh, we're uh, we're probably not going to uh, lie too easy until this is uh, uh, replaced and uh, we get the first uh, vehicle across the new bridge. Jeff Dwyer, I really appreciate your time this morning. Thanks so much.
Thanks, Linda. I appreciate you having me on, and uh, happy Valentine's Day to all those uh, star-crossed lovers out there. There you go. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. And uh, when we come back after the break, we're going to hear from the mayor of New West Valley, Mike Tiller, right after this. And we're back. We're going to go now to uh, New West Valley Mayor Mike Tiller. Hello, Mike. Good morning, Linda. How are you? Great. Any weather up your way? Oh, it. Uh, we got our nor'easter this morning, Linda. It's getting pretty blustery, you know. Right on, and you're right on the water, so you know all too well about that. Uh, yeah, we're not. We're no strangers to these kind of storms. You just we're just not as frequent as it used to be. So, what's on your mind this morning? I just want to comment on a couple of articles that were on your uh, news site yesterday. Uh, the first was uh, with Mayor Farrer well talking about the uh, obstetrics situation that's in Central Newfoundland. And Mayor Farrell hit the nail on the head. This is not just a, a uh, an issue between Gander and Grand Falls. This is a central issue. And he did mention New West Valley in his article, which prompted me to call in to throw some support. Um, we are three hours away from Grand Falls, and you can imagine on a day like this, three hours is pretty. Uh, that's a that's a conservative estimate on the time it's going to take you to get a pregnant lady into Grand Falls Hospital. So. Uh, Closing that obstetrics unit in Gander doesn't only affect that area, it affects the whole region. And I think it's time that Central Health uh, really look into get, making sure that these two obstetric services stay in place and not close the one in Gander and focus uh, on the Central West in Grand Falls. It's such a huge area, central Newfoundland, um, and Grand Falls-Windsor, as I pointed out uh, at the top of the show, and Gander serve two completely different geographically distinct areas, and vast, huge. Grand Falls-Windsor is serving everything from Pilly's Island to uh, Harbor Breton, you know what I'm saying? And, and exactly. Gander serves everything from New West Valley to uh, Glovertown and um, Fogo Island. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's huge. Um, so how do you um, say one is going to get obstetrics and the other might not? Um, it's really difficult. And this is going to... to not only impact people who are planning families now, but people in the future who say, you know, is it going to be worth my while to settle in this area if we plan a family and obstetrics is all the way over there? You're exactly right, Lynn. Uh, rural Newfoundland is, is fighting an uphill battle to keep this population up. I mean, we, we are uh, a declining population, although uh, we are lucky that the area we live in is, is a beautiful, vibrant area, and there are people that are moving here that have really no connections to the area. They just enjoy where it is on the water. They enjoy the quietness. They enjoy the peacefulness. Uh, they enjoy uh, having the amenities that we do have here. So we, we're lucky that, that, that we do have that going for us. But we also need the health care and, you know, extra businesses moving into the area so that it becomes even more of an attraction to people. And, and again, if you're young and you want to start a family, you don't want to be three hours away from the obstetrics unit. I mean, I can understand what central health does with regards to, you know, only orthopedics in one place, only urology in another place. That kind of stuff makes sense because you can be stabilized in, in uh, Grand Falls, for example, for a broken leg, given the pain medications, and then sent to Gander for your surgery. But when you're talking about labor and you're talking about, you know, having babies, there's no such thing as, as taking the time to stabilize in one area. When that baby decides it's going to come, it's going to come. And if you're three or four hours away, depending on the weather, 
it could make for a very un- unpleasant situation. Absolutely. And uh, you're talking about, you know, peace of mind as well. Um, you know, regardless of the time amount, uh, the amount of time it takes to get from one place to another, it's the peace of mind of that uh, woman or the couple who are, you know, going through one of the most exciting and stressful times of their lives. Most certainly. Most certainly. Uh, if I can, Linda, I'd also like to speak about the article that the uh, the town of Wabana and the fire department had there about uh, responding to the medical calls? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Fire and emergency services, uh, lately it it seems like there's a big switch from strictly fighting fires being the the, the fire portion of emergency services and and moving to the emergency part. I mean, the amount of hours that I'm sure the Port of Ass Fire Department uh, put in uh, through Fiona must have been, you know, through the roof. And now with these diversions, volunteer fire departments are taking a lot more active roles in, in areas that before it was not heard of for Newfoundland for them to be responding to, especially in the rural areas. But, uh, they see the need and the desire that when there was no ambulance or, or RCP available, uh, they're the ones filling the role. And it, it's... Uh, putting a lot of burden on volunteers that didn't think that they'd ever be involved in the medical profession. Uh, as soon as you're volunteer or not, when you start providing first aid or oxygen therapy or anything on a patient, you're becoming part of the medical profession. And I think it's time that uh, the government and foreign emergency services, the Minister Responsible John Hogan and our association sit down and say, you know, if this is the way it's going, then we need to have a plan in place a set protocols in place so that every department is not just flying on the seat of their pants because, you know, a lot of departments are, are doing it not because they want to, but they know that if they don't do it, then who is going to respond to keep that patient stable until an ambulance gets there? So it's and, really essentially a downloading of healthcare services onto uh, volunteer municipal... Exactly what it is. And, and uh, at our convention uh, last summer in Gander, our town made a resolution to our association that any time a volunteer fire department uh, ends up having to do the job of professionals because those professionals aren't available, that the government compensate those fire departments. Now, our association, as, as I heard it, uh, did meet once with the new fire commissioner, Minister Hogan. I don't know how that uh, meeting went, and I don't know what the result of our resolution was, but you can't expect volunteers i mean volunteers are hard to come by for every organization and to expect volunteer fire departments to take on extreme additions in their responsibility and continue not to be compensated for it uh, you're going to see some downsizing in numbers of people who are stressed out and are going to stop becoming volunteer firefighters and and the time comes when there's a house fire that there's not be nobody to respond because they're stressed out from the other things that they had to be doing uh, the federal government provides a $3,000 tax credit for volunteer fire departments. So maybe the provincial government needs to come on board with something like that or uh, provide extra funding for medical training. I mean, if this is going to be the norm, then the, the parties involved need to get wrap their heads around how we're going to do it. 
Uh, you're raising an absolutely uh, essential point here, and um, no doubt there are municipalities already that are facing this uh, with people who are refusing to come forward to to volunteer for services that we've always um, relied on um, because of the these added extra, uh, I guess, burdens, if you will. So have you had any satisfaction with the Department of Municipal Affairs or the Department of Health? Uh, no, well... Um I guess that there hasn't been a push uh, yet from our association or from uh, MNL on behalf of the firefighters, but I'm hoping that my call this morning can maybe get the ball rolling so that our association, you know, tries to get another meeting with Minister Hogan, the minister responsible, or uh, MNL says, you know, we need to start picking up for our volunteer fire services in our municipalities so that, you know, they're compensated, they're trained, and, you know, if we are going to be a part of the system, then we have got, you know, there's got to be guidelines. I can't stress that enough. You just can't have every department flying by the seat of their pants and hoping that nothing goes wrong and they end up in a court of law because of, of trying to do the best that they could in, in the situation they were put into. I mean, it's there was a situation in a, in a neighboring town of Lumsden yesterday where the fire department was an hour and a half uh, on scene with a patient because the two ambulances that are... Uh, served that area, were out of town because of diversions, and the nearest uh, ambulance was in Gamble. So they were an hour and a half with a patient who wasn't stable, uh, doing their best to keep her stable until uh, the ambulance arrived. And, you know, it's just lucky that it was a good outcome. But what kind of questions would have been asked if the outcome wasn't so pleasant? New West Valley Mayor Mike Tiller, I really appreciate your time this morning. I'd like to hear what other municipalities have to say about that. Uh, You're raising a very vitally important issue. Thank you. Thank you, Linda Swain. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And we're going to go now to the MP for St. John's East, Seamus O'Regan. Hello. Linda, good morning. How are you? Good, good. Um... Celebrating one year since we signed a deal on uh, Muscat Falls rate mitigation for the province. So, um, which, you know, when you think back on it, and uh, uh, the reason I especially wanted to call was this was an issue that dictated uh, our politics and, our, and, and economics uh, for the better part of a decade. Um, you know, it, it, we talked about it every night at supper, our news, we, uh, every morning on the radio with you. Are you on a hands-free, Seamus? I'm on one of those earbuds. Ah, okay, because it's kind of fading in and out from time to time. You you... know, that's the thing. I can switch that out pretty quickly. Hey, there you are. There you go. So that's it, rate mitigation. Look, I just, you know, it's one of those things you take for granted because we did a good deal on it. Uh, $5.2 billion. And it's $5.2 billion. Uh, a lot of that comes from um, uh, net, well, we get net profit interest, which thanks to John Crosby negotiated a great deal with the oil companies. We got ex- federal government got extra money over the years. They got $3.3 billion off that net profit interest in Ibernia. We redirected it uh, to rate mitigation uh, over the course of uh, the life of the deal. We think it's going to be about $3.2 billion. So it's, it's royalties. It's, uh, it's interest off of money revenue that comes from our resource from Hibernia and redirecting it to make sure that people, uh, you know, that rates didn't double the way that we feared that they would for so long. Um, I've never been so happy, to be honest with you, to 
to have uh, something not make much news <laughs> after it was done, because I think that people realized it was a good deal. Uh, and all sorts of talk about whether or not the federal government would own the asset or tell or tell the province what to do with it or anything like that. There's none of that old foolishness. We did a good, clean deal. Uh, a lot of people said on this show and many other shows and lot of conversations and loud conversations that it couldn't be done, and we did it. Um, and uh, I just wanted to basically tip my hat to a lot of people who worked behind that, but I also want to tip my hat to a lot of people who we don't talk about often enough, and that is, you know, regardless of what you think of Muscat Falls, thousands of people worked on it, uh, a lot of hard workers, uh, most of them Newfoundlanders and Labradorians, um, and I just wanted to commend them uh, on doing the job that they were told to do and setting out and doing the best that they could with it. Uh, Muscat Falls now, you know, hopefully we'll get the bugs worked out and uh, and it will be an asset of of low emission power for, you know, for the grid, however however big that grid may expand for us, uh, to export to Nova Scotia, perhaps to other places. But but it is, uh, you know, hopefully we can start to turn the page on it and look at look at it somewhat more positively. I want to talk to you a little bit about the carbon tax, but we're up to news time. Do you mind holding through news? Not at all. All right. We'll uh, we'll come back to you in just a second. How do I put this back on hold? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Dave's done that for me. God bless him. Uh, we'll be uh, we're, we'll be back with uh, MP Seamus O'Regan after the news with Brian Medor. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. And just before the break, we were speaking with uh, the MP for St. John's East, Seamus O'Regan, and he's talking about the one-year anniversary of the federal financial restructuring deal for Muskrat Falls. But top of mind for a lot of people right now, uh, Seamus, is this whole carbon tax, which is going to come into effect in July. And Mm -hmm. the opposition conservatives are calling for the tax to be axed on home heating fuel in particular. And when you think about it. Who uses home heating fuel? Well, for a lot of people, it's seniors uh, who are on fixed incomes. If they could change and move away from home heat, uh, uh, their homes with oil, they would. Um, so why penalize them, I guess, is the question. Yeah, first of all, before we go any further, just listen to Brian there. Uh, that's a wicked old storm out there. So I just ask everybody to stay safe. I know you've been saying that all morning, but I mean, that's bad driving weather. So um, look, on the, on the price on pollution, we've had it on in the province for some time. Um, and uh, we've, we had to deal with the province and they basically collected it at the pump and in other places. Uh, and then that money went right into provincial revenue. Now the federal government, um, and people will feel this in July, uh, takes over completely. And instead of it going into our general revenue, like just, you know, like a tax would normally, or into the provincial general revenue, now it'll go back to consumers. It'll go back to people. In fact, it'll be about 328 bucks you'll get, or $328 exactly every four months, uh, $1,312 a year. That's a family of four. Um, but, but you'll get that money back. Uh, and what that money does is basically look at, it, it looks after the, the increase in the price of pollution. Um, so everybody gets the same amount. Everybody gets the same amount. But if you then make decisions to use things 
um, that cost uh, or that you know cause less pollution. Let's say you decide you're going to move from um, you know a home heating oil product to uh, to you know electricity, to move to hydro. Uh, if you do that, then you will continue to receive the same amount, but you will there also you know be saving money by using a fuel source that doesn't pollute as much. Um, and when you do that, you get more money in your pocket. So most people, eight out of 10 people, have more money in their pockets. And that's the idea. But We're trying to figure out a way That's the idea, but them. in reality, no. it will, it, will that work? You know, if so you're reality, a couple who are in, in reality, your 80s. No, in reality, it's working. It's working in Ontario. Uh, it's working in Alberta. Uh, it's working in a number of other provinces where it's been, it's been going on for quite some time. So yeah, I know it's working. Uh, it's not some theoretical thing or anything like that. It, it is working. But is it working for the people who uh, don't have an option, who who are unable to, I mean, I don't know how much it costs to heat a home with oil. I can just imagine what it costs to fill up an oil tank. And maybe some of our uh, gentle listeners can fill us in. But it's, you know, you're looking at over $1,000 to fill up an oil tank. Um, yeah. And if you're going to add uh, extra cost to that, I mean, how are you going to keep your home heated well, yeah, I mean, I can only speak to the federal portion of that, and that, and that part you get back, right? You get it back four times a year, and we're, we're going to start issuing those before it, this even takes effect in July uh, to make sure that, you know, the, the money that you got is in hand as opposed to just getting it after the fact. So that happens four times a year. So that's, you know, that's the, the federal portion of this. Uh, there is no question home heating oil has gone up uh, astoundingly. And, uh, you know, I hear this from constituents all the time. I know it from family. Um, you know, it, it, it's a significant issue. You do hear tell of people. Well, you know, I've been there, actually. You know, people who are seniors, particularly, who are going to places like the Village Mall uh, during the day. Um, you know, that, that is, uh, you know, in order to save on heat, that's rough to hear. It is happening. Um, and, uh, that that part of it, the overall price of home heating oil, yeah, no, I, I, I can't speak to that. I can speak to, uh, you know, the price on pollution and the fact that we'll make sure that people are looked after for it and that they get the money directly in their bank account. They'll see climate action incentives uh, written out in their bank account. And like I said, they'll get it four times a year. Uh, so, no, uh, in other words, you're saying no to taking it off home heating fuel. Well, what I'm saying is it's already – just remember, it's already on, right? That's the deal we made with the province. So right now, um, you know, for, for, for the most part, it's going into provincial general revenue, right? Uh, what we're doing now is we're giving it back to people. Like this is going back into people's pockets. Um, and this is the way it has always worked in uh, provinces that have chosen what we call the federal backstop. Uh, they have always gotten it back into their pockets. Uh, that's what we prefer. What we're interested in is incenting, giving incentive for people to make choices on, on energy sources and other products that, that pay, uh, you know, that don't pollute as much. Um, that's the idea. Uh, the idea was never to penalize people at all. So the money that, that, you know, that the price on pollution increases night and buy, that money goes right back into your pocket. But it will always go right back into your pocket regardless. So that if you, if you decide to pick an energy source, for instance, that pollutes less or if you've got a heat pump or anything like that, you still get the same amount of money. There will be more money in your pocket uh, to spend on whatever you like. Yeah, <laughs> I just yeah. I, 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 what I'm saying is that it concerns me that there are people who don't have options because they don't have the money to make those choices. 
Right. So they'll get the money. They'll get the same. Everybody gets the same amount of money. It's not just it's different this way. It's not just a refund if I got a heat pump or a refund if I got more insulation. Right. We're giving everybody this money. Right. The vast majority of landers uh, and laboratories are going to be getting this money. Right. Um, but and so it will cover the price on pollution. Um if they decide then to do other things that will save them money, that will save on pollution, they would continue to see to, to receive the same amount of money. Uh, so it's a real incentive, but we didn't want to penalize people. So when we came up with this a few years ago, about six, seven years ago, where it's been applied in other provinces since then, um, the whole idea was how do you get people to choose something that doesn't pollute as much uh, without financially penalizing them? So this is the way of if everybody gets the same amount of money, regardless of their heat source, um, if they do decide to choose a heat source that in the long run will save money and save on pollution, they'll continue to save the same, receive the same amount of money, and they'll save the difference. They'll pocket that difference. All right. <laughs> I hear what you're saying. Um, and, and, and just to reiterate again, yeah. it's working, right? It's working in other provinces. So this is not something new where we're trying out on Newfoundland Labrador. I've seen that before. It's none of that. This is working in other provinces. And we decided to start it in the, not until July. So, you know, you get we have time to, uh, to wrap it up. Uh, and ramp up the program, I should say. I hear you. Uh, Seamus, I, I appreciate your call this morning. Uh, we'll have to leave it there. We have other calls on the line, but I really do appreciate your call. Thank you. All right, Linda. Anytime. Take right. care. Bye-bye. We're going to go now to uh, Lisa in Marystown. Hello, Lisa. Hi. Good morning, Linda. How are you? Good. Sorry for the wait. I know you've been there no for a while. No worries. No worries. <laughs> there was a few more important people who needed to send some messages before I did. No one's <laughs> more important than anyone else. <laughs> Linda, um, uh, I'm the executive director of Grace Sparks House in Marystown, and I attended the uh, Canning Bridge meeting last night. And I can't really uh, sum up anything else other than what our MHA did this morning. He did a great job in, uh, you know, recapping what happened at the meeting. And I want to thank him and our council for organizing that. And uh, just to reiterate what he said, it was a very respectful meeting. And everybody brought forward, uh, you know, concerns from different populations and and, you know, I won't speak to others' concerns because, again, I mean, everybody's concern is legitimate. And this isn't about, you know, a, a bridge and, you know, an extra 12-kilometer drive being an inconvenience. For us, we're a shelter uh, for women and children who are victims of violence. We're located on the south side of Marystown, closer to Little Bay. So for us, um, as MHA Dwyer mentioned, you know, our taxi increases, you know, groceries, things like that have all increased for us. And we struggle now with, uh, with the budget and the cost of living and the increases and trying to do our best to provide services to, uh, you know, to the women and children we serve. And it's, it's, uh, it's daunting. It's, it's very frustrating that, you know, and I, and I don't blame, you know, there's no blame in this. I, I just want us all to, you know, work together to find possible solutions. And I can only speak for the population that I serve. 
uh, for me as a resident of Marystown, yes, it's an inconvenience, I suppose, in terms of having to go, you know, around. And I'm fortunate enough, you know, to be able to afford um, the extra gas. But there's people who can't. There's people, you know, we, we heard from a lady last night who's got, uh, I think, 28 of her workers, um, you know, live from, and I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the area, but from Farrell's Hill, which is on the south side, out to Little Bay. And they're calling her saying, we can't get to work. We can't afford to come to work. Uh, We also uh, uh, have a supportive housing unit with six units where, you know, women who leave the shelter come and live uh, in an affordable manner and receive supports from the shelter. So even for us now, our supportive housing unit is on the north side. Our staff and shelter are on the south side. So the increase in costs for our staff to go and support the women on the north side uh, has increased. Um, you know, taxi services for us now, and again, I don't, I'm not putting blame on, on the taxis. I know they have the same increase in costs as everyone else does. Uh, but like, you know, what was normally a $14 taxi ride is now $40. And as our mayor said last night, you know, this has a domino effect because not only are now we, you know, as an organization going to have to look to government for increased funding to help us support women and children, um, you know, there's businesses suffering. We, We can't get we can't afford to be sending women to the north side for doctor's appointments, for counseling appointments, for lawyers' appointments, because we just don't have the budget. Like, we're, we're maxed now, and, and we've still got, like, a month and a half left in this fiscal year, and I don't know, you know, how we're going to do it or, or, you know, where the funds are going to come from. But I did see, you know, a community come together last night, a council come together, our government representative come, you know, come together with us and promise that, you know, we're, we're going to keep this on the front burner and we're not going to drop the ball. And, you know, I have faith in them and I have faith in our government, regardless of your political stripe or, or what side you're on. This is just not an inconvenience. This is, you know, these are lives. These are services. These are essential services. We, you know, we're an emergency service, the same as, you know, any other emergency service that there is in our area. And how we're, how we can last another five or six years without the bridge? Impossible. Impossible. It, 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 it just can't happen. Because again, what the government is going to have to dish out. Uh, to, you know, people who, who can't afford to work, whether it be through income support, whether it be through increased funding to emergency services, increased funding to our municipal governments, increased funding to our shelters. Like, it, it, it's just not going to be feasible in the long run. I mean, something needs to be done sooner than later. And I have great faith in everyone who attended that meeting last night that we're going to work together as a community to, uh, to find a solution. Wow, but solutions aren't easy, as you've just pointed out. I mean, this is going to have uh, significant social and economic ramifications for the next number of years. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and it's a it's a difficult situation that the people of Marystown are finding themselves in right now. Yes, it is. And, and you know, like for people who, you know, like I know one lady spoke about uh, someone who works in home care, and she can't afford to go to work anymore. She can't afford the taxi. She can't afford a $50 taxi every day for work when it was costing her $20. And I understand the taxi's point of view as well. So, you know, we're in a catch-22 here. And the longer, um, you know, this goes on, 
the greater devastation it's going to have for our our community because as our mayor said there's going to be a domino effect and businesses are going to suffer you know people are going to get laid off they're seeing already we're seeing uh, apparently a, you know a drop in businesses and people you know uh, not visiting the coffee shops the way they did they're not you know not going to the grocery stores as much and again like for us i mean you know when i have to make a decision whether a woman can go see a counselor when she needs it versus i don't have any money in the bank you know how do you, how do you make those decisions right and and we we need you know we need everyone every level of government to work together to find a solution for this because you know apparently you know one lady said last night it took 28 years of advocating to get the canning's bridge there you know 70 odd years ago we we can't wait we can't wait another year what that what it's going to have on our health system what it's going to have on our economic systems and most importantly for me uh what it's going to do to the services that we can help you know women and children like we we can't put women and children on a public bus that that's not going to work in a small community it might work in st john's or or corner brook or in the larger cities but here you know everybody knows everybody and when we're trying to provide a confidential safe service for the women and children we serve how can we put them on a you know on a on a public bus to to go around i mean that's that's not that's not even an option for us so you know i'm just i'm just hoping and praying that uh we're going to find a solution to this and find it sooner than later and i don't have the answer i absolutely don't but i know something has to be done sooner and later and and i have great faith in our council and especially in our mha jeff dwyer who's been very supportive of our services since day one that uh you know that they're not going to drop the ball on this and that they're going to move it forward so you know i i just wanted to make sure that got out there because you know every service is being affected um but when we're talking about the lives of women and children who are who are escaping violence i mean you know we just can't put that on the back burner. Lisa Slaney of Grace Sparks House in Marystown, I really appreciate your call this morning. You really uh, illustrated for all of us the, uh, the serious situation that the people in Marystown are facing right now with that Canning Bridge shutdown. Thanks so much. Thank you, Linda. You have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to take a very short break. When we come back, we hope to hear from you. And we're back. Uh, we're going to go now to uh, Tom. Whoops, wrong mouse. Hello, Tom. Good morning, Linda. How are you this morning? I'm doing. I'm doing okay. I'm here listening to all the interesting callers. I just want to. I just my brain was just firing as I was listening. I'm, I'm wondering if there might be a way to have some sort of shuttle on the on the on the main part of Marystown side that might be able to loop around and drop people off. Maybe people could walk across the bridge, and people with disabilities. Maybe there could be some sort of a golf cart or some sort of I don't know something that could shuttle people across. There might be an opportunity there for someone who, you know, is able to think it through and knows the area for sure. Yeah, it's probably not something that the private company could probably prosper from. But, I mean, if you're looking at multiple years, I mean, I think it's something that the province and maybe the municipality and maybe even the business community might be able to all go together in on to try and make it workable. And it's not that long of a bridge. And I imagine it should be okay for pedestrian or very, very light vehicle maybe be able to transition i mean you know and my other thought was on seamus was talking about uh, the carbon tax and and uh you know when when you look at it really really closely i have a couple of questions the first question is where the province reduced 
um, their gas tax um, on diesel and, and gasoline by seven cents. Are they going to keep going with that? Because part of that was that was offset by the carbon tax that they were receiving. But obviously, now that the, now that the Fed's plan's going to come in place, I, that that's a fairly big hit. They will take it when they lose the carbon tax. So, with the budget coming up, that's that's another thing. So potentially, that seven cents could go back on too. So that that might be a bit of a bump in. March, unless the province continues on with reducing its gas tax. Yeah, and the ramifications, and, I, and you know, I totally get the, the concept behind a carbon tax. I, I get it. We need to reduce our carbon emissions. We need to be making the choices to reduce those carbon emissions, and you need incentives to do that, and usually the only incentive there is to do that kind of thing is in your pocketbook. Uh, but do you, you know, one size doesn't necessarily fit all. Um, so when you're talking about home heat in particular, um, and uh, I'm assuming that, you know, there are people who, if they're able to make the choice and have the capacity to do so, will make that choice. Um, but there's a lot of people who don't have that option. Well, you know, unfortunately, in Newfoundland Labrador, we seem to be really um, slow to react. Um, you know, the price of oil has been up and down and up and down, uh, but we just obviously experienced a major shock. And and the carbon tax will be 17.38 cents per liter, but then, of course, HST will go on top of that tax on tax. The governments are really good at getting it wherever they can. However, even even like that amount is obviously very punitive, but, but outside of that, at $2 a liter or $1.80 a liter or $1.70 a liter, it, it doesn't make sense to continue heating your home with oil. Now, that doesn't make it any easier. Uh, you know, that extra, you know, maybe that'll be an extra 7 or 8%, maybe 9% extra. You know, that, that's obviously more, more harm on top of harm. But, but the reality is that people have to just realize, like, the boiling frog mentality, like, you know, analogy, it's, 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 it's in play here, too. So, you know, sometimes, you know, you, we allude to the, to the retired people, the ones who are, you know, and not obviously lots of retired people aren't financially struggling, but but the one that we the ones that we always picture in our mind's eye, they're the ones who really need help. But but that help can come from family, younger family, can come from neighbors, it can come from people in the community. I mean, there are programs that are in place; they are convoluted. You know, obviously it's online, and there are some great contractors uh, out there who are providing assistance as well. I mean, I would definitely encourage people to hesitate before they put in electric furnace, direct electric furnace, which, which is a lot, of, a lot of the go-to. And I don't know why the province isn't taking more of a, a role in that because electric furnaces are 100% demand. So like if every, when everybody's electric furnace kicks in, same as baseboard heaters, then we have to have enough supply in our grid to build supply all those and those on those cold days, all those electric heaters, all those electric furnaces. So heat pumps have to be the way people need to need to think because the price of electricity is also going up um, and it's going to jump whenever they get most falls commission is going to go up maybe a cent and a half or so but then it's going to go up 2.25 percent every year so the price of electricity is going up as well so you know heat pumps heat pumps heat pumps uh, you know the mini splits are really good they can't be the primary source of heat but I mean, in a lot of cases you just kind of you know find someone who you trust and and uh, you know go through the motions but but you know the carbon tax will return if you're if you're a really low income person, you will get more back in carbon tax because generally low income people don't drive as much. So so you know we're paying carbon tax on all fuel. So if you 
if you have two vehicles and you're driving a lot, well, you're going to pay carbon tax there. If you heat your house with with furnace oil, um, like Patty, for example, him and his wife, they heat their house with furnace oil, but they have a mini split in their house supplement. Um, you know, they're getting hit a lot. They're not going to probably not going to get back as much, depending on how much they drive in carbon tax, as they pay. But someone who is very low income might be paying it on their furnace oil, but they probably aren't driving as much as a rule. Now, now that's not necessarily the case. Some people may have the worst of both worlds. So, so when they factor it in, they make it more back in carbon tax. But the flip side is, if they convert away from these this really expensive oil, then they will get still get that carbon tax refund every quarter. But, but on top of that, they will they will be saving money. I mean, it, it's it's amazing. I mean, I I know of lots of people who have. Uh, you know, actually kept their furnace, but have gone to mini splits, and and so they have the furnace as their prim- as their primary source or their backup. to you look at it, but they've but they put mini splits in. Now that only works if you have um, enough electrical capacity in your house, and then you have to get into a new service. And all these things, this is where you need to talk to an expert and, and get some advice. But but you know, boiling frog, it, it's not going to get any better. You, you know, procrastination and and whatever the carbon tax. You know, was, carbon tax is meant to really be a mindset change. To point, you know, but it, but by itself, in the case of furnace oil, the, the cost of furnace oil, regardless of carbon tax, needs to be causing people to change their behavior, because um, it's it's just I can't imagine that that hit that people get when they when the oil truck rolls away and you know at two dollars a liter, I mean you could be spending fifteen hundred dollars if you let your tank get all the way down. I mean that's just uh, where does anybody get fifteen hundred dollars? I mean that's just crazy. Yeah, and we just had somebody uh, message us saying that they, it cost them $2,000 to fill their tank. So, yeah, that's a big hit. Indeed, indeed it is. I, I, I want to bounce over just quickly a comment yeah, on Yeah, just Mark. very quickly because we yeah, do sorry. have a, a lot of callers waiting on the line, as you can appreciate because you've yes. been waiting a long time too. Yeah, I'll, tell you what, I'll leave it right where it is. Everyone stay safe and, uh, and take care. All right. Really appreciate your time. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we hope to hear from you. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show. Midnight on your VOCM. And a storm-related note, uh, Gander Academy, Gander Elementary School, Gander Collegiate, St. Paul's Intermediate in Gander, all closed for the remainder of the day. Smallwood Academy in Gambo closed for the remainder of the day, as is Lakewood Academy in Glenwood. So you got the day off. Kids in Gander, uh, Gambo, and um, Glenwood. Um, so obviously the weather is uh, affecting people pretty ser- seriously in that region as well. Gander Academy, Gander Elementary, Gander Collegiate, St. Paul's Intermediate, uh, Smallwood Academy, and Lakewood Academy all closed for the remainder of the day. We're going to go now to Bill. You're on the air. Hello, Bill. Hello. How are you doing this morning? Oh, great. How are you? Great, Linda. Happy Valentine's Day to you and your listeners. Same to you. And I just wanted to touch base with you on uh, some nursing issues that we have over towards the Port of Bass area. I know there's always a shortage of nurses going on, and there's always people quitting, and there's lots of uh, you know nurses being overworked. Uh, they're kind of mandated to work more hours, more shifts. I mean, this just creates a longer day for them, makes them not want to be a nurse. And, of course, it gives the patients a lot less service as well because the nurses are pretty tired and they're working their, they're working their poor little bodies to death every day. And as um, a person that lives in Port Bass, my wife is a nurse, Linda, and we were just wondering uh, what the situation is for hiring nurses because she's been back in uh, Newfoundland since November, and um, she's applied for at least three jobs in the Port Bass area, and she cannot get employed no matter what. So the Why nursing is that then? 
I am not sure, dear. I'm just why I'm calling you today because I want to raise awareness of of the um, the I don't know lack of lack of anything. She's she's applied for three jobs in Port of Bass. Um, she's never been called back. She's never been interviewed. She's never been acknowledged at all in any way, shape, or form. Um, she can get a job in Burgill or nowhere near where we live. She can get a job in Cornerbrook, nowhere where we live, but she cannot get a job in Port of Bass. Are there a vacancies in Port of Bass right now? Yes, dear. And as a matter of fact, she's applied for two or three of them so far, and she's not even gotten a response. Wow. Um, So here we we are. We're talking about going to India. We're talking about going to Ireland. We're talking about bringing in people that we cannot even come close to, you know, keeping in our province because of our cost of living is so high. Um, Nothing here in Newfoundland is cheap. Everybody that lives here, they know that they pay, you know, every penny they make goes into their living and keeping their family in food and and heat because of the heating costs and and power costs in Newfoundland. But uh, I cannot get an answer from anyone, Linda. I uh, approached my uh, I approached my MLA from this area uh, yesterday. I got in touch with his office, asked for a call back. I did not even get a response back. Uh, and by MLA, you mean MHA? I guess you're MHA. Just, sorry, MHA. Yeah. Yeah, for, you're you're yeah, just sorry. back to the province, I would imagine. Yeah, just got back in in uh, just before December. So uh, we, you know, in November we started applying for work here, and I'm actually full time employed, but my wife isn't. And it's just really weird that she can get a job away from where we live, but in the area where there's nurses needed, and people are complaining every day, and people are quitting. Um, she cannot even get an interview. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, any idea if it has to do with um, the type of uh, position that's open or the no. uh, qualifications? No, nothing like that. She worked at the hospital here for seven years, and we had to go out west because uh, my work had run out, and we didn't have any employment for me, and I was supposed to be the breadwinner. So I moved back out west, and I worked for the last four years there and decided to semi-retire in Newfoundland. Came back to Newfoundland in November. My wife has been applying for jobs since then and not even got a phone call in four months. Uh, very interesting call, Bill. We'll have to leave it there because we've got a, a lot of people waiting on the line. But yes, I, I appreciate I, you I, raising it. I understand. I waited for like 55 minutes to talk to you, and I definitely <laughs> was not going to hang up today. All right. Appreciate that, Bill. All the best. Let us know how she makes out. I definitely will. You take care of yourself, and have a happy day. Thank All right. You. Same to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to go now to uh, the caller on line five. Hello. 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 Hi. I understand. Oh, hi, Linda. Yes, I understand. Congratulations are in order. Oh, well, we haven't had the baby yet, Linda. Uh, we're in St. John's waiting to have the baby. Okay. All righty. Um, the point is, I guess I wanted to talk about the obstetrical controversy that's happened in Central. And I think your opening comment is what spurred me on when you referenced that obstetrics is the essence of a town. And I was thinking, absolutely, actually, the essence of a region. We are residents of Ganner for the past two years. Uh, obstetrics went on diversion from the Ganner Hospital of Grand Falls about a year, year and a half ago. So we are lucky enough to be able to come to St. John's to have our baby because we have a residency here. We did not want to get stuck kind of having it hit the road between Canada to Grand Falls and Weather Lakes that's happening today, for instance. So we decided to come to St. John's. We've been here for the past two weeks. So we are a bit of a bit of a phenomenon, actually, that's happening in Central. People are not aware of is that people, particularly east of Gander in the region, are going to Grand Falls 
to bunk out in a hotel for a couple of weeks before their due dates to uh, to have their babies at their own cost, of course. We're kind I'm, of obstetrical tourism, if you will. Oh well, yes. I mean, no doubt it'd be no wonder Grand Falls is rooting to have the service totally within their uh, within their boundaries, as proposed. Uh, the South Court proposes that Grand Falls should have it, but that tends to be quite expensive to many many people. Let's say we're quite lucky; we have a, a secondary residence in the St. John's area that we can come to. We have family here. This is where we lived to before before we moved to Grand uh, Gander, and uh, we're very lucky in that way. But there's many people that. They they don't want to do the road thing uh, on a February night, two o'clock in the morning on weather like this, where they had to drive by James Payton Hospital. Uh, they, James Payton can't take them, especially if the if, if you're stable. They'll just have to tell you you had to move on to Grand Falls, and it's it's not very enticing. And that hour from Gander to Grand Falls, so much can happen. Uh, a lot of people fail to realize that obstetrics is actually an emergency situation because things can change so quickly with a woman who's in labor. Uh, it, can progress, it can progress so fast, and the risk of a birth on a road can actually result in possible death to the mom, to the child, possibly um, some Mental impairment to the child could possibly happen. There's many, many factors, and these factors, I'm sure, uh, a PDI, a pediatrician, or obstetric, obstetrical person would certainly confirm that would be the case. So, currently, as as residents of Gander, I mean, we we totally support two sites that Grand Falls should continue to have the obstetrical service, but Gander should also keep theirs. Of course, what's been happening in the past year, year and a half, diversion has been happening of the birth to Grand Falls because the health accord uh, is, has suggested the Grand Falls certainly have it all. But the government and the health authority will tell you, well, the decision has been made, yes. But in the meantime, we're going to let this diversion happen. So what that diversion is doing is slowly whittling away at the professionals and the services that are in Gander. And what's happening is that as time has gone by, references were made. Well, Gander doesn't quite have it up to par now or anymore because you know they say, "Well, your midwives have left," um, which is sad because they had that wonderful um, pilot project there involving midwives, and now they yes. virtually have no work. Exactly. It, the government and the health authority have kind of created a self-fulfilling prophecy to uh, make the health accord kind of happen in their favor. Because in the end, people are failing to realize that the health accord is actually a liberal document. So many uh, – we've been around long enough to know that there's been always been magical proposals that could – Cure healthcare. Healthcare will always be a, a, a burden, a financial burden to society. It's one of the things we're just going to have to deal with. But cutbacks, uh, you got to be very careful with with certain services. And in terms of rating obstetrics as an emergency service, that should definitely be considered and done. Um, in terms of as well, I address the fact that the health court is, is, is a liberal proposal to do, get things done. Uh, the conservatives are not even saying much about it because, of course, in the health authority, it centers mostly around cutbacks and, uh, and that type of thing. So the conservatives would be kind of on board with that. But a lot of people are failing to realize that the document, the health accord was released last, uh, last May. Uh, a month after that, one of the co-authors, Dr. Pat Parfrey, was made the deputy minister of health. Um, it went on that... With, with that, oh my, let's kind of lose my train of thought here a little bit now. Um, also, as well, I can touch upon 
that Grand Falls were certainly favored by uh, Dr. Pat Parfrey and Sister Davis, who was also the, the co-author of that particular paper, to be, of course, the center of uh, obstetrics. Now, with with that, Dr. Pat Parfrey, I'm sure, would admit, and it's, it's kind of happened that the, the health accord itself is based a lot upon uh, public meetings, uh, opinions, and that kind of thing. But statistics really weren't involved with a lot of the decisions. And Dr. Parfrey, and I'm sorry, Sister Davis would probably agree with this. If you look at the document, that uh, that's what they based a lot of their suggestions on. Because they're not really coming out and saying, well, this is definitive. Statistics show that. Uh, since the accord has come out, of course, people have been, some statistics have come out, especially Gander has has come to the forefront with the risk of losing their surgical services. As pointed out, their 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 town growth, uh, being an airport, international airport, um, it's just the proximity to the eastern end of the region. That Gander feels that they should keep our service as Gander as Grand Falls should keep theirs, and that would better serve the region. Yeah. So there's a little there's a little underlying thing that's going on also in Central Newfoundland that. That the people of the area know, but many of them don't want to address, is that with all this this air of liberalism kind of going through the whole decision, that also was well, uh, the chief of the head of obstetrics, because what happened is is a pat- okay. Uh, we'll uh, have to wrap it up. Okay, I'm sorry. Anyway, in terms of that, they, they talked to, uh, you know, people of, of the CEOs, that type of thing, heads of departments, whatever. So it's interesting. The head of pediatrics or obstetrics, I'm sorry, sorry for central health, is located in Grand Falls. But that doctor happens to be partner with uh, Mr. Rodney Mercer, who's uh, executive assistant to the premier, who has an office in Grand Falls, which uh, Premier Fury opened uh, their last year sometime uh, for him. And that office had been shut down for about five years. So um, I would suspect for Mr. Mercer to be able to stay in that area. Now, certainly, if Gander was going to get that but service. does it you need to, to be one okay, or the I'm other? Sorry. I can certainly drag out with more yeah. of it, but I'm hoping a lot will come out and people would understand. Anyway, we've got to keep obstetrics at both sites. There you sense. go. Um, uh, really appreciate your call and all the best now. Oh, indeed. Indeed. Okay. Bye-bye. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we hope to hear from you. And we had a flood of calls there for a little while. If you were, had been trying to get through and couldn't, uh, now is your chance to do so. We have a few lines um, uh, freed up. And a uh, little reminder, Gander Academy, Gander Elementary, Gander Collegiate, St. Paul's Intermediate, Smallwood Academy in Gambo, and Lakewood Academy in Glenwood all closed for the remainder of the day. Yay! We are going to go now to Rosalind. You're on the air. Hi, Rosalind. Good morning, Linda. A happy Valentine's Day to you, and thank you for taking my call. No trouble. I was listening to uh, Seamus O'Regan there. I said, you know, some of those people, they don't even know how much gas costs, how much oil costs, or how much food costs, really. But in the meantime, I'm an old, um, well, I'm in me, I'll be 80 years old this year. I got an old house, two-story house, that is impossible to put in a heat pump or anything else, so I'm burning oil. I used to have our stove on, but I got a furnace and a our stove. And uh, I put in the application for that $50 rebate, sent that in on the 21st of September, and then some friends of mine got their uh, oil rebate in October. So I started calling. When I never got mine, I started calling. Not only me, there's a lot of people. <coughs> I started calling, <coughs> excuse me, and uh, 
the girl was saying is in the process. Then you you'll get it. You soon get it. In the process. Blah blah blah. So she went on like that till the twelfth of uh, December. I called in. I said, "You're saying that every week. I haven't got nothing." And it's only me. I don't have a husband or nothing like that. I'm an old widow. And uh, anyhow, uh, she said, well, I'll, I'll check with my superior. That was on the 12th of December. On the 14th, I get a letter in the mail saying that the address on my receipt that I sent in wouldn't the same as what was on the application. Now, on the receipt, Buddy drops the oil off. He gives me a little slip, Rosalind Walter, King's Cove. On the application, it said me full name, post I was box 88, you know, King, the whole thing, King's Cove. And anyhow, um, so anyhow, I got that all straightened out. I went to the all people that supplies the oil, and they gave me the a full thing with the full address on, sent that in on the 19th of December. Still haven't heard a thing about that. But in the meantime, and not only that, I said the old, um, between the oil, I can't, there's no way that I can, I got, I said I'd like to live in a little bit of comfort before I passes on to the next world. But, uh, you know, they don't realize, and we got to go, I got, I got to drive a half an hour for groceries, and the gas, you can't afford that. Then when you get to get a few groceries, is double at a price that it always was. So it's absolutely nuts the way they get on and the way some of those people in the government think. You know, oh, you got to get a heat pump, and you got to get this, and you got to get that. I mean, there's there's no way there's no way that I uh, could even get a heat pump in this house. It old house is what, built in eighteen hundreds. Right, and uh, of course, if you're on oil, you don't need your electrical upgraded, uh, but you need your electrical upgraded to put in a heat pump. So that's oh, an know. added cost too. And, and uh, then there's uh, removal we, of the tank and all of that stuff. Everything, yes, and just add a new tank put in there. Well, the year before last, I think it was, but in the meantime, uh, the upgrade here it would be crazy. I said there's more than the government that ever paid to get an upgrade, but I mean I can't even if I could upgrade, even if I had the money, which I don't, to upgrade, there's no way that I can get one put in. There's nowhere in the house here that I can put a heat pump. You know, there's uh, there's a whole house. Yeah. Living room living room kitchen and a porch. That's, yeah, you know, that's I know the, a lot of people in the same boat. Yeah. They just there's simply nowhere for it to go. Um, I know. Yeah. And I, the price of everything made is gone. I, it's crazy. It's, I don't know. How it, much does I, it cost you to uh, to heat your home with uh, oil? With all my mid last time they come up and it wasn't too bad. It wasn't too cold in, so it cost five hundred dollars. Then they're pretty close, four hundred and something. So this time with the cold weather and was set that was the seventeenth of uh, January now when they topped up here. So it went up from there. It was a dollar. Forget, forget what it was at the time when they topped up. When I think it was a dollar fifty something or something like that. It went up over two dollars after that. So now it has gone down a bit. I don't know, but it'll. Who knows? I know people that's thousand dollars made paying just to get tapped up with with oil. Yeah, it's amazing. The the it's cost ma- is crazy. Yeah. And I let me tell you, Linda, mate, there's times I I be I be cold because I don't, I'm trying to save. Like when I go to bed nighttime, if the furnace is up right now, I got the stove on because the way the wind is 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 uh, heats better than the furnace, and uh, I turns it all off when I go to bed. And uh, I wait in the morning because it only takes for the furnace only takes five minutes to warm up. But still, rather you know, I haven't got the money to pay out. That's the truth. Maybe why I'm a senior. Now you know what that is, with no uh, no other income or anything like that. 
it is absolutely nuts. So I don't know where out of poor people is is uh I don't know. We're living in hard times. I was saying to a friend of mine the other day, we were talking about back in the 60s, I said, my God, I wish. <laughs> you know, the old times I didn't go cut a, well, when I was growing up, we had to cut a, a hole in the in a brook, the ice to get water and stuff. I said, I'd rather have that than what we got now. You know, Rosalind, I really appreciate your time this morning. But anyhow, Thanks. I appreciate getting that across, <clears throat> and I hope Seamus O'Regan realizes that what what we're paying for oil and gas and the food air my air has gone double in price. It's crazy, crazy, crazy. Uh, I pa- a package of biscuits I got the other day. What used to be three ninety nine has gone up now to seven dollars. Just plain crackers. <clears throat> Everything is is wild, man. It's crazy. I noticed tea the other day. I went to pick up a thing of tea, and I, I looked at the price. I said, that can't be right. It, it yeah. was double what it used to be, and uh, and, and and the package is smaller. <laughs> and I, I said, no, that's going to sit on the shelf. It's I, I'll do without. I know. There's absolutely nuts made. But anyway, like I said, the $500, I still haven't got that to rebate. I mean, this is... February now, and this since, well, we, we, never, most of the people, I don't know if they had a different address or what, but most of the people around here in Kings Cove, that's all is on their bill, is their name, and they're uh, in Kings Cove. Kings Cove is on the application, but I don't know how stupid they are that they don't even realize. Because when I sent the le- when I called them that time, they, they, I uh, called them about, you know, she said, I'll send you a supervisor, check it. Well, that was December the 12th, and December, and I've been called at every time. They could have at least let us know what the problem was, but they didn't. When I, when I talked to her on December the 12th, I got a letter on, on December the 14th stating what the problem was, that the address on the bill wasn't the same as what was on the application. You know, so this, and it took out it, and it's still... I still, I was hoping to get a, get the 500 before the next uh, oil comes in. Well, you should have that by now. Um, call your MHA. I don't know, mate. What's, I think everybody around is after calling him, but there's no, uh, there's, I mean, I, there's not only me, you know, but I said there's all kinds of people are the same thing in the same boat. But there's no reason why they you know, for uh, your address, I mean, King's Cove is King's Cove. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. Uh, Rosalind, I appreciate your call. We're and up to I news time. I appreciate the time, my darling, and I'm sorry that it, I had to blast it out at my team. Tell Seamus O'Regan next time he calls. Yeah. Call me, and I'll let him know what I think of the government. <laughs> <laughs> appreciate your call, you later. You Rosalind. have a great day, and enjoy your Valentine's when you get home. All right, stay warm. Okay, thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. We're going to take a break now for the news with Brian Medore. When we come back, we're going to speak with Marystown Mayor Brian Keating coming up right after this. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. We're back, and as promised, we're going to go to the mayor of Marystown, Brian Keating. Hello, Brian. Good morning. How are you? Good. We've been hearing from a few people about the meeting last night, uh, and Lisa Slaney laid it all out. Wow, people are going to be seriously inconvenienced over the next little while. Uh, very inconvenienced, and I appreciate all the residents that came out last night. There was many different organizations, you know, uh, came forward, a lot of private residents. Everybody came out, and I was very pleased with the turnout. 
But uh, basically, we got to give the facts to the general public. We're still waiting on a hard copy report from the government. Uh, we have not got the full report back. We just got the emails, uh, communications, and communication verbal phone calls and meetings with Department of Transportation and the government. I got me a head off to our two local MHAs and our Minister of Transportation, Mr. Loveless, uh, reaching out to us. And just wanted to give the residents, like we told them last night, uh, we are not going to drop the ball on this. We are going to keep at this and make sure that uh, – we get the proper outcome for the residents of the Marystown and the Bjorn Peninsula area. Uh, we talked with the minister's office and stuff and representative from the provincial government this morning. The meeting is going to be confirmed a date uh, for next week. Is not sure. It could be anywhere between Monday and Friday, but the guarantee the meeting will happen with the minister either in Marystown or St. John's. And all our counselors agree, whatever it takes, we're going to do it. That means we got to go to St. John's. That's fine as long as this meeting happens. But uh, as you said, you heard from many of our residents this morning, one of our biggest concerns is not the word. I don't like using the word inconvenience because inconvenience you can deal with. It's a devastated uh, situation for the town of Marystown. You know, the domino effect, like I said at my meeting last night, the cost uh, for going to work, uh, loss of employment, loss of services. You know, when people can't do their home care and then the seniors get neglected, next thing you know, then that affects our uh, health care because if no one can take care of them, they get sick and they end up where? At our health care facilities, which is already overburdened. Uh, the town and the council and the residents are working hard together. We're talking about getting a task force to represent uh, uh, the local residents of Marystown. That's one option. We came up with hundreds of different scenarios and answers and uh well i guess the word we're looking for we're looking for suggestions we got a lot of them last night but until the engineering and what we are technically allowed to do you know we had suggestions about putting in lights uh even our past mayor said we should put a lighting system there and let so many cars go by until we get the full report exactly what we're allowed to do uh it's we're in a holding pattern uh, till we get that official written report. Now, when I say holding pattern is what we're allowed to do, that means we're not in a holding pattern to keep lobbying the government, talking with the government, and once again, the government's been superior uh, communication from uh, both sides, both MHAs and the government. So right now, we're in a uh, situation that's dire for the town of Mary's town, the residents, not only from the south side, uh, coming to the north side, where all our uh, utility uh, payment places, our, our malls, our, our, our drug stores, our grocery stores, all that, and our post office, all that is uh, located on the north side. But the convenient, the inconvenience and the devastation that takes for uh, a resident from the north side even go visit their sick parents or family members, it's just such a domino effect. Everybody's concerns were talking last night. I got over 700 emails since uh, Saturday, and I'm trying to answer every one of them. It's very hard, but we will promise the residents of Marystown the full disclosure. As soon as we get information, it will be given out. Information is the key to success, and I want to thank the residents of Marystown for the support they're giving their town council and the backing they're giving us. Every organization knows we're going to do our best, and we're going to work hard to get this resolved. 
But in saying that, we want to make sure that we do this right. We make sure that it's safe. We make sure that we do everything, do our due diligence to work with the government to get the shortest resolution and the safer resolution to get a new bridge or get the bridge operational for the residents of Marystown. And like you said, it's more than an inconvenience. This is going to have serious socio and economic impacts, you know, for years. And, you know, you're hearing timelines, you know, uh, from anywhere from three years to five years. Of course, we're going to be working hard with the government to try to minimize the time the bridge is uh, deemed unsafe and or replaced. You know, there's engineering uh, bridges all over the all over the world. You know, sometimes what takes 18 months, you put the right pressure on, it could be three months. We all understand, anybody in the industry or everybody in the road building industry knows that the uh, 300-span foot bridge is not going to be replaced in six months, but uh, I don't think it's going to take five years. I'm optimistic that the, the province, the government, the municipal government, and all the people involved in this Department of Transportation is going to do it in a timely manner, a safe manner to get this major thoroughfare, this major lifeline between the north side and the south side of Marystown done in a timely manner. Marystown Mayor Brian Keating, I appreciate your call this morning. Thank you. And I'd like to thank all the residents for their patience. And uh, we, like one of your callers said this morning, we're definitely not going to drop the ball. We're definitely going to work hard to make sure that we get our bridge resolved. Appreciate your call. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. We're going to go now to Rob. You're on the air. Hello. Hi, Rob. Hey, how are you today? Good. Good. Yeah, nice nice stormy day out here looking out over the water and splashing winds. Um, I just like to uh, chime in about uh, with Seamus O'Regan there. Uh-huh. And he's just become a political BS guy. Um, you know, it, they're just taking this carbon tax stuff, saying, "Oh yes, we're going we're, we're going to tax you on all this, and then we'll give it back to you." And it's like, why? Why taxes then? Because they're taking money from us out of our pocket, putting it in their purse, and collecting money on that. And I, I heard you, you you bit your tongue, I think, a couple times when you were talking with them. Go on. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, I just, um, like, why tax us and say, oh, we're going to give it back to you? It's just uh, well, it, it, as he it's explained, it's it's intended as a as a incentive uh, for people to make the change. And uh, when I was talking with Tom, uh, you know, the, the the biggest way to motivate people is through their pocketbooks. So the the intent, I suppose, is to impose this tax, but give you the money back so that you make the changes uh, that uh, affect you economically. And even if you make the changes and it's cheaper for you, let's say, for instance, to heat your home, then... You, bonus you still get the money back apparently so that's the concept but for people who can't afford to make the change in the first place it's an added burden is it not yes absolutely and that and that's what i mean it's it's just it's like an oxymoron like you're you're taking money from people that can't afford to heat their houses as it is and saying oh down the line uh you'll you'll get some money back 
Um, I, I, I just don't get it. I just there's there's no sense in taxing taxes, and that's what they're doing. They're taxing a tax. You know, like because we pay for fuel, uh, they pay tax on it, and then there you got to pay another tax on it. And it, and this is on the federal side of it now, so it's like, you know, oh, I just it, it's just so frustrating. I'm sorry, I'm had to, but I, I just I, I had to call in because it's so frustrating. I hear you, uh, Rob. I appreciate your call. Thank you. Okay, take right. care. Bye-bye. Thanks, Bye. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we hope to hear from you. I'm getting used to all of the incomings and goings here. Uh, Dave is on the air. Hi, Dave. Good morning. How are you this morning? Oh, I'm, I'm great today. Today is our anniversary, and happy Valentine's Day to you, Linda. Well, same to you, and happy anniversary. Uh, yesterday, I heard you ha- in conversation with Dennis O'Keefe. I'd like to throw a bouquet to Dennis O'Keefe, because uh, him and uh, the rest of us should all reject what this World Economic Forum is doing to our country. They have our, their liberal minions that have us taxed so extremely that we have no prosperity anymore. We've had nothing only regress instead of progress. Now, I heard you playing devil's advocate, obviously, because that's what you have to do, and I understand that. Although, you claim that, yeah, well, if the rest of the countries are doing it, we should do it too. Well, Linda, I'm going to bring you back to your childhood for a moment now. One of your parents probably said to you, okay, so if your friend jumped off the wharf, you're going to jump off the wharf too. Now, I'd like for somebody to tell me what was Dwight Ball's biggest accomplishment. I don't think anybody can say that he done anything, only put us further in the hole. And Fury and Trudeau are doing the same thing. They're texting us beyond what we can keep up with. There's been no progress. Now, the idea that we have to give up oil, for instance, May 6, 2021, Trudeau announced plans to build two new icebreakers. In the meantime, he's telling us the Arctic is melting, which is true. We just had 10 days ago the coldest February the 4th on, in 100 years. That don't sound like much warming. He just announced he's going to buy some new fighter jets. What do they run on if it's not the byproducts of petroleum refining? As a matter of fact, the electric cars that they're pushing is not none of those. They're not even to me. You can't name one part of an electric car that can actually be produced without the petroleum industry especially the tires. <laughs> so this, this lunacy that we got to give up oil is, is, is ludicrous. And every, all the politicians that are pushing this stuff, all these liberals that are, are, are pushing this excessive taxation should all be rejected and they should all be held accountable for ruining our country. There's absolutely been no progress since the liberals took over. All they've done is destroy, destroy, destroy. There's no creation anymore. Everything is taxed and shut down. And it's, it's criminal. It's actually criminal what they're doing to this country. The only bit of prosperity 
prosperity Newfoundland has had in the past century is from the oil. And now he wants to take that away from us again. Eighty years ago... But the world is moving away from oil anyway. The, it's uh, happening. No, my baby, it's you'll never happening. move away from oil. Even the electric machinery needs to be lubricated, it, okay? It's not going to be now, eliminated altogether, ago, but the world is me, moving away from Eighty years ago, I'm sorry. There, was a guy that sw- there was a guy that came out of Germany eighty years ago that sounded just like me. Schwab, and he wanted world domination. It was wrong then, and it was, and it's wrong now. Thanks for your call, Dave. Appreciate Goodbye. your call. Bye bye. Um, all right, we're going to go now to uh, Jim Din. Hello. Hello, Linda. How are you? I just want to make sure it was the right Jim. <laughs> Not too bad. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I just want to talk a little bit about uh, uh, three topics, link them together uh, housing uh, and shelters and homelessness. Uh, with the uh, announcement, uh, the announcement uh, of the of federal funding for health and uh, Jim, are you on health. a hands-free? You're very echoey. I am on a hand on a, a hands-free on my cell. Yes. Ah. Making... <laughs> are you able to pick it up and put it to your face? <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I, I figured out earphones that would be a little bit better, but I'm going to try it holding up to my face. See what happens. All right. <laughs> okay. Uh, give me a minute. Okay. Only because for radio purposes, it sounds very echoey. I know it's very convenient. How's that? Oh, much, much clearer. Thank oh, you. Oh. Thank you. No problem. Okay. So, uh, so I want to start with the fact, the admission by the Minister of Children, Seniors, and Social Services that, uh, it, that they could have done better, an admission that they could have done better, been more prepared uh, than anything with the homelessness and shelter issue in, in Newfoundland uh, or in St. Well, John's, but in Newfoundland and Labrador as well. Especially in light of the day, um, we're we're all safely ensconced in a in a warm, secure house. But there are a lot of uh, uh, or a place work. But there are a lot of people who aren't. That's not so good. We have asked. I have asked in the House of Assembly that uh, you know what is government doing uh, to prepare for winters. So, in some ways, there is a certain comfort. In, in the fact that the minister has acknowledged that they could have been doing more, and that uh, hopefully that leads to actually the government doing more. But there's also, I think, a certain, uh, uh, to me, uh, a disappointment in that the opportunity to do that has passed. We should have been, uh, government should have been taking action before now. It's cold comfort, also, Linda, that the uh, the minister says that we're that the that Newfoundland Labrador is in the same boat as other jurisdictions. All that means is that these other jurisdictions in Newfoundland and Labrador have failed to address the issue. I wouldn't take any comfort from that. I think for the most part we pointed out that certainly when it came to looking for how, uh, how housing issues uh, and, 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 and the, and the uh, public housing stock has been, uh, uh, has been declining in, in, in repair, uh, basically because of budget cuts to, to the workers needed to, uh, to complete this maintenance. And I think also, for the most part, while the minister says we don't, we want to put measures in place so that we don't have ten cities. I think our focus has got to be about uh, not just avoiding ten cities, but a priority should be making sure that ad- that we that all people are adequately 
uh, and safely uh, housed. That should, that's got to be the, the primary focus in the long term. Because so what's happened, though, Jim? What's happened? Because uh, it seems to me that this problem is getting worse. But what are the contributing factors, if you will? So the gathering place now, looking at moving into um, more permanent type of residence space as opposed to the emergency housing, um, what, what is causing this change out there? Is it because people are no longer renting their properties? Are there no rental properties available? What's going on? Well, that's a very good question, and I think that's part of the problem, a large part of the problem. Uh, and I think the, the fact that the gathering place is going into more permanent uh, uh, like living arrangements, supportive housing, is probably where we need to be going. The fact is, over the last few years, Newfoundland and Labrador housing stock has, the, uh, has not, the maintenance has not been kept up, and this is from talking to people within the, who live in, the, live in these houses, and, uh, and, the, and the number of vacancies has increased. Also, rents have gone up to the roof. And I can tell you from talking to my uh, uh, to the people calling my office, they're finding it increasingly difficult to get p- landlords to rent to um, uh, to those who are on income support. Uh, automatically, that seems to disqualify them. And there are people who are turning their properties into uh, whether it's Airbnbs and uh, and other uh, more profitable methods, I guess, of housing. But the fact is, we do need, and one of the things I've, I've pushed for that our parties push for. It's near and dear to my heart. Is an adequate public housing uh, and you know affordable, so that there is a there is an option there, so people don't have to rely on shelters. Shelters. The fact is, we've increased the number of. Uh, it, it, looking at the stat, uh, stats since 2020, the number of people uh, accessing shelters, emergency shelters, has quadrupled. The shelter line has increased by 9,000 uh, up to not from 2,500 to 9,000 calls. So. In the end, I think there's got to be a recognition too, Linda, that and uh, I, that uh, you know this has an emotional, physical, mental health cost and financial impact. And I'm listening to the announcement yesterday about like how we're going to fix the healthcare system, and uh, yet the health report quite clearly points out that 20 percent of health of an individual lies with the healthcare system. And I'm not saying we shouldn't um, we shouldn't be addressing the issues when it comes to uh, like uh, finding doctors for people and so on and so forth. But 60% of a person's health is related to their social determinants of health. And I think we need to make sure. And, and as we fix the uh, fix the health system, that we're not losing sight of the bigger picture and the overall recommendation to keep healthy people healthy and out of the hospital. And Otherwise, I think, you know, um, uh, this announcement, we're not going to see the progress we're hoping for. And if anything else, I think in these bilateral agreements that that we need to uh, have agreements that address the social determinants of health to make sure that, as we've said, to uh, unlock the funding for the national housing strategy so we can build more affordable housing, to look at basic income, to look at the effects of of climate change on our health and overall well-being. I think from our point of view, one of the things we'll be looking for in this upcoming provincial budget is uh, for more investment in housing. you know, we have people in shelter now, and people have got to be in out of the cold. And we can't have, we can't be getting up, uh, we can't be re- uh, mounting a charge and try to save both 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 shelters um, without looking at mounting a charge to address the issue. Because we're finding ourselves not only those on income support, but seniors are having a hard time to uh, to 
to stay in housing, uh, single uh, uh, single people. So I think in the upcoming budget, what we want to see is a commitment. Now, a clear commitment to addressing the uh, the housing shortage and to make sure that there's an affordable public option for people. Jim, we're up to news time now. Um, uh, do you want to hold through the news or are you... Sure. Whatever. No, I, I think I think that's good for now. I, I'll be calling in again, uh, Linda. I think the key thing is got it's got to be focused on the uh, on the big picture here. Health, uh, large part of health is about pe- keeping people housed, mental health stabilized, money uh, being able to afford to eat, and uh, and then we start uh, we start addressing that problem. So no one's sleeping out in the storm in the middle of, or out in the open in the middle of a storm. Jim Din, I appreciate your call. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. We're up to news time now with Brian Medor. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. And we're back. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly, who is off this week. We're going to go now to Jeffrey. You're on the air. Hello, Jeffrey. Hi, Linda. How are you doing? Good. Great. Yeah, no, I'm calling in today about, um, I guess, the federal program called uh, Greener Homes Grant. I know a few people called in before, and, <laughs> and I've been wanting to call in to talk more about it. Um, well, I've um, this is the second time I used it. I used it in my previous home, and in my new home I just bought, I just um, I'm applied for the program again. Um, so the program, I don't know if a lot of people, I guess a lot of people, some people are familiar with it. Um, you apply, and then you have a pre-evaluation done to your home, <clears throat> which costs several hundred dollars to get done. You have to pay up front through a certified company. I believe there may, may be only one in the province offering the service. Um, and then once that evaluation is done and you paid for out of pocket, you um, you get your work done, whatever you get approved for to retrofit your home. If it most, I know a lot of people get heat pumps, some people get um, insulation, whatever to get your more, uh, home more efficient. Uh, and then you have to get you get your work done. You have to pay for that out of pocket and or charge it if that's possible. And then you have to get a post-evaluation completed by the same company, which is, I believe, around almost $300. Um, And then once that's done, your documents then have to be submitted by the company that did the pre- and post-retrofit to the Greener Homes Grant, I guess, uh, in the federal government program. And then they receive – and then you can wait 40 days to get um, the grant of $5,000. So (laughs) by that time, you spent a lot of money out of pocket – to you know, be able to access this five thousand dollars, and they have another program that they advertise, um, which this is I actually applied for it this time. I didn't use it last time, um, but it's it they advertise it as the no interest. Um, I guess green. It's it's a loan, but this loan is only they only can give you the funds for it after you get um, the final evaluation is done by Greener Homes when you get your grant. So. For me, I well, I need to pay my contractor, so thankfully I did have access to the funds. I didn't need to wait for the loan um, to come true, but it's creating so many barriers. Like I know several seniors that can't get this because where are they going to access 
you know, it's about five, six hundred dollars for the pre-evaluation. Then they had to access another almost three hundred dollars for the post-evaluation. This is all out of pocket, and then you get your work done, and then you, depending on the work you get done, um, you may not even qualify for the five thousand dollars. Then you got to pay that out of pocket. For myself, I had three heat pumps installed. I have a large home. It was, it, I will just say it was over $10,000. So if, um, where is somebody on low income, or not even on low income, anybody accessing those funds to pay for the program and then have to wait 40 days to get your application viewed, and then you have to wait for the money to be dispersed to you? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, a nice incentive, I would imagine, for somebody who's already thinking about doing it. Yeah. Uh, and is, is like yourself, right? Exactly. Uh, you saw that as, okay, hey, great, I get $5,000 back, I can afford to do this. Yeah. Uh, but for somebody who can't afford to do it, it's really not a realistic no, uh, it, absolutely. incentive, I suppose. And I, my impression was I applied for the loan this time because was, I was getting a, you know three heat pumps. So it wasn't cheap. Um, and it was interest-free. So I said, hey, why not? So once I had the work done, then I contacted, like, I was approved for the loan and everything. And so then once the work was completed, I contacted um, the department for the loan. And they said, oh, no, you have to wait until um, – your uh, post retrofit is done, which there's only one company in Newfoundland. This has taken a week, two weeks for the company to get to you, especially being on. I'm on the West Coast, so you know there's. I believe there's only one or two people on the West Coast doing all of the West Coast. So you have to wait one or two weeks to get that post evaluation done. They compile all the data, send it in. That could be that's up to another two weeks, and then you have to wait an extra forty days. So to get so then I assumed after the post evaluation I could access the funds to pay the contractor, but then when I contacted him they said no you have to wait until everything is approved and which like I said is forty days. So I kind of and that's if everything goes smoothly and swimmingly. Exactly, and then so most. contractors or um, especially, you know, smaller contractors or if you're getting stuff from a building supply place, after 30 days you're getting interest and most contractors, they want their money right away. And, you know, like I said, being small contractors, you can't really blame them. Um, So, thankfully, I had access to, to the funds to pay the contractor to wait for the loan proceeds which I don't even know if I'm, I'm, I'm going to need now. Um, but like I said, it's creating so many inconvenience and barriers to, you know, people that need the program. And a lot of people go into it not expecting any of this. Like I said, this is my second time I had it in my previous home. And it's been a, huge, a very long process. And like, like I said, it's it's expensive. Well, Jeffrey, I'm, I'm glad you uh, called to break that all down for us. Uh, you know, for those who, like I said, are already con- contemplating that and see this as a as a little added bonus to save a few dollars down the road, it, it's, it's great. Uh, but for those who are in the position of being told, you know, get rid of this, do this, that kind of thing, it's, it's, um, it's, it doesn't sound, you know, overly helpful. 
No, it's not, and that's what I'd like to caution people to um, to really uh, r- really read into it and call and ask questions. They have a, a number there that you can call in and ask questions. I really advise people to do that before applying and going ahead with the pre-retrofit. Really appreciate your call today, Jeffrey. Thank you. No problem. Bye. All righty. Bye-bye. Um, and uh, due to weather conditions, the city of Mount Pearl will um, has decided not to reopen any of its facilities for the day. That includes City Hall, the Glacier, the Summit Center, the Reed Community Center, and the Gloria Pearson Community Center. That's the city of Mount Pearl. Uh, many facilities there remaining closed for the remainder of the day, including City Hall, Glacier, Summit Center, Reed Community Center, and the Gloria Pearson. Pearson Community Center. We'll be back right after this. And we're back. And just a reminder that uh, schools in the three G's, Gander, Glenwood, and Gambo, uh, will remain closed for the remainder of the day, as will the facilities operated by the City of Mount Pearl, including City Hall, the Glacier Summit Center, Reed Community Center, and the Gloria Pearson Community Center. We're going now to Reg. You're on the air. Hi, Reg. Hello, Linda. First time caller long-time listener well welcome to the show hello um i'm just calling about the uh gentleman that called about 20 minutes ago there he was quite uh passionate and aggressive now i don't believe in his delivery but i I do believe in his message uh, and i think that a lot of canadians do as well okay what's that then about, about the taxes and the oil okay yeah, well, I was just calling. Just I was a little bit upset that he got cut off there. I oh no, he didn't get but... cut off. He he cut himself off. <laughs> okay, right on. Mm. But yeah, no, I just think that um, I just think that he, he he had a very valid point there, and it just seems like nothing gets addressed. Everything gets pushed under the rug, type type thing. Okay, so what specifically uh, did you feel? Um you know, needed to be said there or, or reiterated? Well, just about the taxes, you know, the way the world is going. Like, no one can afford to live right now as it is with inflation and everything going on like that. And it just seems like every other day they're they coming up with a new tax, new lots for us. It seems like they're kind of taking away our freedoms. I'm not, I obviously know that you know about this this digital ID that's coming up and stuff like that. I just uh, yeah, but that's not that... really uh, factual. That's that's the issue there. There's a couple of things that are being mixed up there, from what I can gather. Um, yeah. uh, there is no condition on digital IDs and the like. Now, a lot of jurisdictions are bringing forward digital IDs, including the provincial government, which is trying to f- put together a, um, a a pilot project for it. But it's opt in, uh, and it's just so that you have some kind of uh, um, a digital, uh, I suppose, identification that you're able to say, yeah, this is really me. When I'm dealing with motor registration, I'm doing everything online. This is me. I don't have to send you a bunch of pictures of my license plate or uh, my birth certificate or whatever the case may be. I'm just throwing things out there. So that's that's one issue. The other issue is about the sharing of um, um data related to health care that is a condition of the um, new health care transfer, but it has nothing to do with individual people. It has to do with information, like uh, the backlog of uh, hip and knee surgeries in Newfoundland and Labrador right now is 300 or whatever the case may be, that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. Yeah, but I've been doing a little small bit of digging into it, and it seems like it's going to be focused on more than just... Um, records at a hospital or stuff like that. I, it seems like it's going to consume more parts of our life than that. Um, 
And um, sorry there, I just went blank. But uh, yeah, uh, what I'm trying to get at is, and I don't even know if this is true. I heard on the news that the premier is threatening to ban uh, ban healthcare funding if certain provinces don't agree to this. No. Um, no. 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 Okay. Well, I guess they've I'll all agreed. On that. They've all agreed to the healthcare transfer. They've all agreed. No. To what? Yeah. You know, but what I'm saying is, I thought that he said that if they don't agree to these IDs, that they might have their healthcare funding cut off completely. Is that true, or that's not my understanding? No. Oh, okay. Well, I, I know I that I'm... some premiers have responded to concerns about that and have said, "I would not yeah. agree to this." Yeah. But my understanding is that that's not part of the deal. Okay. Very I stand good. to be well, corrected, I... but that's my understanding. Yeah, I guess we'll just have to wait and see how it unfolds. I guess. All right. Appreciate your call. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to go now to Mary. You're on the air. Oh, hi, Linda. How are you today? Good. Linda, what I want to talk about, a, a few callers back, you were speaking to this older lady. I don't know. I thought she said she was from around the bay, and she was living in an older house, and I thought she said she was nearly 80, waiting for her ivory base. You know, I don't understand those people. Then, like Seamus O'Regan and them will get on talking about heat pumps. Well, uh, Linda, everybody, when they're elderly, when they're senior like me, don't, if they got oil and everything is okay, they don't want to get their house uprooted. I wouldn't want to do it. You know, I, I, I don't know what they're talking about. It's all right for them. They can afford it. I mean, nothing bothers them because whatever they want, this crowd in the government, they can get it out of our money. And I mean, I'm a senior and I'm still working. I mean, you know, so I, I don't understand. But she might have to wait a while for that oil rebate. Yeah, I don't know what the uh, the status is on the oil rebates. It's a good question, and uh, hopefully we'll get some responses to that uh, from from government. Um, but, uh, yeah, w- uh, one would think that, uh, you know, maybe we need to call our MHAs, or if that was the case, uh, to find out where they are. Well, the way I find it today, Linda, I mean, I'm older now, but I find, I don't know, from going around to the stores and different places, it's like there's no respect hardly for seniors anymore. I see that every day. I was up getting my medication there about a couple of weeks ago, and this old man, there was three or four in the lineup, and, of course, I was finished, and he went to ask the girl something. And, I mean, he had a walker, and he could hardly stand up. She said, you got to go back to the lineup. And I said to the people, like, behind me, I said, do you mind if... And I didn't know the man from Adam, but I'm used to older people. I said, can you let this man go go ahead of you? Because I don't think he just wants to ask a question. They said, sure, we're not in a hurry. And I thanked them. You know, I, I don't understand this. I, I just don't understand the, the way things are going today. And another thing I want to briefly touch on, Linda, is, is the drivers in this town, the way they drive. Is, is really, they put up new signs here on Thorburn Road. Nobody looks at signs today. They'd run you over and leave you there, uh, Linda. I, I, I would drive to Columbus Drive every day, and I mean, it, it's scary, scary. And I'm sure if you're driving, you'll see it too. What do you mean, in terms of uh, speed and aggressive driving, yes, that kind speed. of thing? Yes, and aggressive driving too. 
And then if you're if you're doing the speed limit, then they're going off of their heads. I mean, you, you know, I think it's just a bit much now, Linda. And I mean, as far as the government goes, they don't care about nothing or no one. They make do- it's like the oil and the gas. It's up and down like a yo-yo. They they do it one day, adjust it, then the next morning you wake up and it's up for the up again. You don't know where you're to, and there's nobody cares or nobody looking after anything today. Mary, I appreciate your call. Okay, Linda, thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. We're going to go now to uh, Leo. You're on the air. Hi, Leo. Oh, hi, Linda. Um, I'm just calling just to challenge. Uh, You had made a comment uh, at the end of uh, another caller about how um, the world is, uh, you know, uh, reducing uh, carbon emissions. But that's actually kind of a myth. Like, I'm all for reducing reliance on fossil fuels. The world is is moving away from, (sighs) from oil, is what I said. Oil, okay, even oil, oil, which is a primary contributor to carbon emissions. But here's the thing. See, the future of climate change is not going to be decided by us in the West, Canada, the U.S., or the U.K. It's really going to be decided by Asia and Latin America. Yeah. Why? Because these countries are poor. And the big industrial, um, they have big industrialized uh, areas too, yeah. And a lot of people to feed, right? So 20% of households in Latin America, for example, don't have a toilet. Um, 120,000 people in China are starving. Their immune systems are breaking down. And a third of the children who live in poverty live in India. Right? So just to use this analogy that was used by Chris Constantine, the scientist, he said, if you were a person living in a third world country and you had a choice between uh, a choice between your son having a serious risk of, a star- of starving or dying of a preventable, preventable disease, and all you have to do is to present, press, press a button, and he would go, uh, he would live, in, he'd go to school, go to university, get a good white collar job, but all you have to do is press that button every day, and a giant plume of CO2 emissions would be released into the atmosphere. I would guarantee you that there isn't a parent in the world who wouldn't smash that button so hard that their hand would bleed. So what I'm saying is, yes, it's a noble ambition for the world to reduce reliance on carbon emissions. And the only way that that's going to happen is to address the problem of poverty in the world. And before that happens, we only, I think Canada only releases something like 2% of carbon emissions compared to other countries in the world. It's very small. So we can sit here in the West and tax ourselves to death on fossil fuels and so on and to do whatever we can, and it's all noble. But the, the problem of reduction on carbon, uh, carbon emissions is not going to be solved until we actually address the problem of world poverty, plain you're, and simple. You're absolutely right. Um, and, and, but I suppose, and this is, and I'm only just parroting what uh, some of the um, elected officials have said, you know, is they, they want to, you know, set an example. They can't say, well, our hands are tied. It, you know, it depends on all of these other forces. We have control over this now. So what's your response to that? My response to that is that because we are all so interdependent, um, we all have to, as, we have to somehow find a way of resolving conflicts around the world, come together as a global community to solve this problem. Otherwise, it's never going to be solved, ever. We have to learn how to, how to build bridges with countries. We cannot do it in isolation. It cannot be done independently. 
Yeah, and you've got countries then that are, um, you know, cutting down forests uh, for beef farms, which is a huge emitter. Beef and sheep, big emitters of, of um, uh, greenhouse gases. So Exactly. Um, yeah, there's it, it's a much more complicated issue than putting a tax on carbon. Right, right. So I don't think the world actually is moving. I mean, it would like to move away, at least parts of the world would. But a big chunks of the world, it's the least of their priority because they're struggling just to survive. Leo, I'm glad you uh, were able to get on today. I really appreciate your call. Okay, thank you, Linda. Thank you. Have a good day. You Bye. too. Bye-bye. And uh, stay safe out there, everyone, on this uh, stormy Valentine's Day. Seems we always get terrible, terrible storms in and around this time of year. Um, and, of course, the anniversary of the Ocean Ranger disaster uh, this evening, uh, tonight, overnight. Um, and a similar type of storm. Much higher winds, though, uh, if you recall. Uh, anyway, stay safe out there. Safe if you're traveling. If you don't need to be traveling, don't. Uh, sit back, listen to the radio, have a great time. Um, Richard Duggan is going to be sitting in for me for On Target today. Thank you, Richard. And his guest today is Nira Aylward with the Jimmy Pratt Foundation. So that's going to be an interesting conversation, no doubt. Stay tuned for that. Uh, we're up to news time now with Brian Medor, who's going to give you all the latest on the weather. Uh, we're going to see this right through to tomorrow, I think, noontime tomorrow. So uh, hunker down, uh, stay safe, and thanks for listening.